pledge allegiance to the band. It may perhaps discourage you, and not only your kidney, or infected with this vicious virus, but you'll be ordered to pay a fine of 75 pounds. I'll pay now, if you don't just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder. These guys are an Let's get rocking! Welcome to Movies at Rock, a rock and roll journey through cinema. I'm your host, Josh Fitzgerald, and back today is my friend who's been here um, for the podcast for Stars Born, and we talked about Purple Rain a couple years back, and um, I'm really excited to have him back to talk about Stop Making Sense, and this is Mr. Dave Finn. Hey, How are hello. You hello, everybody. This is Dave Finn. Welcome back to the show. Uh, glad to be here. Awesome. It's It's been a little while. I think it's been... Maybe let's see. Purple Rain was maybe the end of 2019. Sounds right. Yeah, so it's 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 been a while. I'm glad glad to have you back. Well, thank you. You're you're welcome. And this was a interesting choice. I I had mentioned to you before we started recording um with this movie. This was one I've been wanting to do since I started the podcast. In fact, this when I started when I came out, had the idea of doing this podcast, this was one of the kind of red letter movies that I had made a list of that I had never seen before that I really wanted to have a reason to see. Not that I need a reason to see it, but, you know, I wanted to make something a little bit more oh, of just wait, watching I, it. You know? I didn't realize you hadn't seen this before. I had not. This was <laughs> not from start to finish. I'd seen, um, you know, really some of the more popular scenes and songs but i've never watched it from start to finish properly until now yeah and i purposely held off on watching it so so that i could do this podcast it's yeah i mean i had the dvd my brother had the dvd when i was a kid i just i wasn't at the time i was so young i wasn't really interested in watching it right um and then as i got a little bit more into music and and um into film and things like that you know this is held in such high regard in as a you know one of the greatest rock films ever made you know then the interest i started to pique my interest more and more that's when i kind of got the idea to, to even start doing this podcast at all and um i'm like i want to see it but i'm going to wait until i can actually record an episode about it and uh this was my this is my chance to do that oh cool good um mm-hmm. well i guess before we dig into it um what did you think of it oh i loved it absolutely <laughs> okay, loved good. it yeah <laughs> it was it was just Un, to me, it was just like unbridled joy, and um, it, it was just incredible. That's cool. Um, yeah, I was surprised doing the little bit of research I've done to see that it was praised in its day as a you know a top notch concert film, hmm. but but decades later, it still is held in high estimation. And and I can't mm-hmm. off the top of my head, I can't think of a of a of a more universally praised concert movie except maybe monterey pop or woodstock right. i was it's, it's up there on that level absolutely i would the only one the one that i kept thinking back to was the last waltz um, oh, okay because yeah. i know that one is, sure. is very beloved as well but i mean right. outside of those three i really can't think of too many others right it's, that, it's that have actually that actually qualify as cinema in addition right. to being a rock movie 
Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. There really are very few and far between. Um, especially since then, like I can't really think of any well, in, that's in the what, last couple right. decades. You know, I, I was, you know, seeing people talk about, uh, you know, talking heads or this hugely influential band. And I thought, well, you know what? Concert productions have become more elaborate since mm. then, but I don't know that the concert film has been improved upon. Right. Like, right. you know, the multimedia stuff that, that Byrne concocted, well, Byrne and Demi concocted for this movie are, you know, are, are, are brilliant and, and, and more commonplace today, you know, amongst big, you know, stadium acts and stuff than they yeah. were back then, you know, back then, you know, a, a live show usually meant, you know, things exploding and a bunch of lights <laughs> and right. fog that that's, that was about all you got. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was yeah. no like conceptual arc to going to see a concert really. Right. 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 Outside you of know, the occasional prog rock artist, you know, performing their album. Yeah, exactly. You know, Pink Floyd had a floating pig, you know, and stuff like <laughs> right. that and a wall at a certain point, but <laughs> It's really good, and it stood the test of time. That's all I want to say about it. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's it. That's our show. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I was. It did not disappoint me at all. I, I knew I was going to really enjoy it, but it, it didn't let me down. Also, too, um, we're going to be the, kind of doing a two for today because we will also be talking about the kind of the I guess kind of a companion piece that came out last year on HBO Max, which was David Byrne's American Utopia. It's yeah. worth it's worth watching. And um, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll talk about Oh, I assume, oh, actually, I'll say I liked it very much. What did you think of it? I liked it very much, too. It's uh, it's quite different from Stop Making Sense in a lot of ways. It, it's it's similar in a number of ways, but <clears> it, it, it also, it's very much its own animal as well. And also very much enjoyable in its own right. I actually know somebody, um, a former guest on the show, actually, who went to see the live uh, American Utopia. Oh, cool! And um, said it was just—it was incredible. I bet. I yeah, that—that that, you know, watching it made me kind of hungry to see it live. I do have to say, because um, having watched these in reverse, <laughs> watching American <laughs> Utopia first, I was—it did kind of like take me a minute when he took the stage at the beginning of Stop Making Sense. Like, oh wow, he really—he was that young once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I was kind of shocked. Yeah, listening to "Stop Making Sense" today, I was mm. listening to the CD um, on my way to and back from getting my first COVID shot. All right, congratulations! Oh, yeah, applause break. Um, <laughs> and it it timed out pretty well um, mm -hmm. listening to the whole thing. But I was just in sh in awe of his vocal gymnastics. Oh yeah, just listening to it. I mean, watching the film, it it it's it's astounding how athletic the performance is mm -hmm. considering he's such a nerdy guy and the band, <laughs> the band in general are kind of nerdy and kind of preppy. Right. <laughs> but they are jumping around and dancing around. And yeah. he especially is. He's like really thing. And yeah. And yeah. Hopping. It's really like and you said, jittering and going convulsing. And he, he's yes. got the full gamut of motion. Mm -hmm. But when you just listen to the CD, his his he's doing the same thing with his voice, or at least you know he used to be able to do that in the eighties. Yeah. Yep. Um. You know, contorting his voice in all these different ways. Uh. You know, inspired by you know all types of vocalizations from around the world. Yeah. Um, he, and and he all styles not, of music. 
Right. He does not, in my opinion, get nearly enough credit as he should for his vocals. And that is, I'll try to make this short, but Mm -hmm. that is one of the things that I've come to appreciate about him and them um, Mm -hmm. that I did not appreciate at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, I was in... I was in high school. I graduated in 85. Mm -hmm. So I was in high school when this movie came out and this album, this album came out and they were hitting big on MTV. And I really did not like them that much. (laughs) They were a little too weird. They were a little too new wave. They -hmm. were a little too synthesizer. They were a little too dancey for me. I I was, Mm -hmm. I, I listened to rock. I was big into the Beatles yeah, Led Zeppelin, Rush, and the only new wave bands I liked were like U2, Duran Duran, mm. Simple Minds, and The Police. Okay, like kind of macho guitar, <laughs> guitar heavy, yeah. new wave. I don't know if Duran Duran really applies, but but the, the, they were a bit fey, but yeah, and glammy, but. And and but disco-ish. they still kind of had that right, right. But Andy Taylor was kind of a guitar hero still, like within that right genre. Um, but but uh, Talking Heads did not appeal to me for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And although I was getting into Prince, and there's this, there's an overlap. I don't know if you hear it, but like 1999 era Prince overlaps nicely with Speaking in Tongues era talking oh, heads yeah yeah I, I guess i never made that connection it's, but I there's a it. similarity uh, in the textures and the mm-hmm. rhythms uh, but then they, you know they both both groups went off in different directions after that yeah but um but i you know i was at i i had a couple of fr- couple of friends who tried to turn me on to talking heads especially when this album came out thinking that naturally i would like them right but i but it didn't catch it didn't mm-hmm. It, it didn't it didn't stick with me and in fact i started getting actively annoyed by them <laughs> uh especially when i moved to new york city <laughs> where they're from and went to art oh, school yeah. they now they they all went to RISD, uh, which is rhode island school of design oh yeah mm-hmm. and that's where they met or at least the core tr- the fir- the original trio met in the 70s mm-hmm. and then and then they moved to new york and then Jerry Harrison joined and they started playing in the downtown clubs. Um, so they're a New York based art rock band. Mm-hmm. Um, and so any party I went to, this is like, you know, mid eighties, mid to late eighties, any party I ever went to in New York city in the lower East side, someone was playing <laughs> this album. <laughs> wow. And I, and it was like background music to me. Yeah. Like it did not, I heard these songs hundreds, you know, well, dozens of times. And then people at college would play Talking Heads on their boombox, you know, during painting class <laughs> where everybody's at their easels painting a nude model and someone's playing this or playing <laughs> uh, Public Image Limited or oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul Simon's Graceland got played a lot. Oh, I thought, yeah, that was huge around that time. And I hated it. <laughs> Like if I had if I had heard it in a different circumstance, maybe I would have gotten to like it, but it just wasn't where my head was at. I right. was getting into goth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, the, of... and this and talking heads were just too straight. They were like norm core yeah. to me. 
Yeah, I've always gotten the impression that they're like aggressively unconcerned with with uh, their image. <laughs> you know, like to the point of where they almost lean into their geekdom. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and the, and and although I will say to well to their credit and to my credit. When I did hear uh, "Fear of Music," which is their third record, mm-hmm. that um, and and the one after that, a "Remain in Light," "Remain in Light," yeah, that have like Robert Fripp, Brian yeah. Eno, and Adrian Ballou, I really did like those. I responded to those. Those were yeah. more in my in my sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, which, ironically, I did like. Do you know? Are you familiar with the King Crimson record "Discipline"? I think it's that, from like 81, I, I, I 82. Know some of the King Crimson. That's their comeback, right? That's their comeback with Adrian yeah. Ballou, yeah. who had played with Talking Heads. Before that, he played with David Bowie, and he yes. played with Frank Zappa briefly. Mm-hmm. But that record, Discipline, that reformed, re- reconfigured, reconceptualized King Crimson is heavily influenced by Talking Heads. Yeah. Of that, of, of that uh, late 70s period. Um, so much so that you could probably accuse them of some plagiarism <laughs> <laughs> because Adrian Blue sang a lot like uh, David Byrne. They're, they were classified as a punk rock band, but they're not really punk. Not not so much. No, maybe only only in the sense of that they were, you know, really willfully trying to make music that was anti what was happening around them. Yeah, it is stripped down, especially the first two records. Are yeah. stripped down, kind of influenced by maybe the Velvet Underground. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, but, definitely. Uh, uh, Brian Eno, when he was playing rock music with Roxy Music, uh, with Roxy Music, mm-hmm. maybe maybe a little David Bowie. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, but it's it's you know it's even a little bit of that. I, I I get a little from those early albums, a little bit of like the, the glam rock scene as well, like some T Rex influences, maybe even a little sure, bit here and there. Sure. Yeah. Um, New York Dolls, that that whole thing. Yeah, but they were never like a big, heavy guitar band. Although the guitar playing is really clever on those early records, so Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's very subtle. Like they they're not they're not the kind of musicians that are gonna really try and wow you with their skill. You know, they use it. They they really use their instruments as a collective. It's almost like world building with their instruments is, is kind of what they do. Definitely, the original trio all went to art school. And so uh, David Byrne has like an artist's, a vision, you know, a visual artist's, mm-hmm. conceptual artist's view towards his work. Um, he's not, I, I'm sure he didn't get into music to become like a famous rock star or to get right. chicks. <laughs> um, but uh, he was, he was their leader. He remained their leader, their their songwriter although there's yeah. there's there's group uh the arrangements seems to have always come organically from the group playing together and mm-hmm. yeah. none of them are particular virtuosos <laughs> right but but they all use their limitations together well right um i will say yeah tina weymouth probably emerged over time to be a really talented bass player yeah she's great um, she's very melodic. Mm-hmm. She's very hooky. Yeah, she uses uh, also she uses rhythm really, um, really well too in a lot of those songs. Like a lot of like the start stop kind of like skittering bass lines. She, she was really good at that. 
They are a white rock group attempting to play black funk. Yes. <laughs> you know, or and 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 later like African polyrhythmic right funk, but they do it through layering um and eventually adding uh adding players to the lineup. Mm -hmm. Um but um they have a very interesting <laughs> or you know a very novel like approach to playing funk that's kind of stiff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's kind of stiff but loose and 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 therein lies the you know the the uh, the appeal of them. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, uh, this may be going on a limb, but I think that's why they ended up appealing to a lot of white nerdy people. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I that, I totally agree with you. <laughs> is that it's it's you know it's it's rock music that you could dance to. It turned on a lot of people to other forms of music from around the world. Yeah, um, and even from within their own country, <laughs> mm -hmm. that that maybe they weren't they weren't uh, you know hearing that often. Um, yeah. and and it was kind of what I appreciated with what they did with world music is it never in their hands it never came off as a novelty or and it never came off as as um, gimmicky. Uh, no, nor I, nor does it come across as like condescending right. or, or colonialist, which I guess right. you yeah. could, you, uh, you could try, you could try to apply that to them and, and, and say that they're exploiting African and, uh, world music. Um, but you I could, don't, I, I don't get that from them. I don't get that from them. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and the fact that they ended up hiring and working with so many, uh, African-American players and international players. Right. Suggests that, um, that no one felt they were being taken advantage of by these, uh, you know, the plantation owners. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> and I think their sound was just so unique and so individually them that any elements of that, of the world music that they took, they, they always kind of just blended it into their own special mix. Burn strikes me as, as a strange a character as he is. Um, <laughs> um, he, uh, like he, he often comes off as aloof yeah. and distant, in in interviews and stuff, right. and I know but, that he he actually has gone on to say that he is um he is autistic uh, as well, which I, which definitely plays a role in that. He seems to have a um uh, a genuine curiosity and an enthusiasm for for uh for life for 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 humanity. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> like you know the the often quoted or not quoted, but the often said thing about him is that he's like an alien who's come to earth and is right is taking notes uh, based on observing mm -hmm. human behavior and right. turning them into songs yeah that there's that there's a there's a distance and a fascination with these you know all the quirky behaviors of humans mm -hmm. and, and that was present all the way back on their first album and and it's literally like part of the plot of american utopia is mm -hmm. Like, you know, an investigation into the human, uh, you know, experience. Yeah, um, for sure. But 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 now, at least in this current film, he seems to acknowledge that he's a member of this race. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whereas back in the day, he kind of seemed distant from it. So originally he, you know, he would write the songs, the, the group would arrange them um, around the time of speak, uh, remain in light. Mm hmm. They started just jamming in the studios, in the studio, with no for, with no songs brought in, 
and then took those jams, edited them down, overlaid them with new instrumentation, and then he would write the lyrics for them. And this is all in collaboration with Brian Eno, mm. who actually originally like originally wanted Remain in Light to be credited to Talking Heads and Brian Eno. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, because he put so much work, him and Byrne put so much work into that in, in the studio mm -hmm. that, uh, yeah, he considered it a, a full-on collaboration. Wow. Um, there's a funny anecdote, because uh, I remember seeing a tweet from you something uh, months ago saying how much <laughs> you liked Tina Weymouth as a oh, bass yeah. player. Mm -hmm. As a bass player. <clears throat> and I had been going through their entire catalog and uh, that may have been what what sparked our interest in doing this episode. Actually, that could be because yeah. I I ended up doing on the on the rock solid hashtag uh, rock solid album of the day. Mm -hmm. I went through their entire catalog, um, picking them. I don't know if I did them consecutively day after day, but mm -hmm. but anyway, I ended up going through their whole catalog. Um, and apparently on Remain in Light, um, you know that like I said, they recorded them all as jams, and then they edited down those jams and then continued working on them. Apparently mm -hmm. at some point during the recording process, Byrne and Eno replaced all of her, all of Tina's bass lines, playing them th themselves because they didn't like what she was doing any or, or what she was doing wow. didn't fit anymore to what they'd now done to the songs. And then Eventually, the one one of the recording engineers told Tina about this, but like so much time had passed that basically this recording engineer told her that all her parts had been replaced, and that if she wanted to, she should she should come back in and do them all over again. Oh my god! So apparently, that's what she did. Like, so what you are hearing is she is playing on it, but she kind of snuck herself back into the process. Wow, that's crazy. And, th and that's the type of thing that Eno and Byrne, apparently they're very simpatico in that way mm. <laughs> of, you know, just, you know, once it's down on tape, the humanity is gone. And, you know, yeah. the, the, yeah. the collaboration with the other players is gone. Now we're going to do our, our thing. I'll start with a little bit of background. For those of you who might not know, this is one of the most famous rock and roll movies ever made. So I'm, I'm sure most, if not everybody who's listening has seen it. Um, it came out in 1984. Um, as you know, right after speaking in tongues, kind of in conjunction with speaking in tongues, part of the, the tour, um, and directed by, um, legendary filmmaker, the late Jonathan Demme. Um, it was filled at the Pantages theater, Hollywood Pantages theater over, over like a four nights consecutive stay. And they were kind of, um, edited together to make a full concert experience. They had the, the album speaking in tongues had come out, uh, earlier in 83, and was there a big commercial breakthrough? You know, they had gradually been getting bigger and bigger pop wise. Um, uh, but I believe burning down the house was a, was on speaking in tongues. And that was a huge yeah. MTV hit. Um, you know, it had a nice like conceptual video. Yeah. And uh, the album before that uh, remain in light had once in a lifetime. Which, which also, which also had a, you know, a, a, a genre defining music video. And that's mm -hmm. the famous one where Byrne is uh, wearing glasses yeah. and, White and, background. and is doing the, yep. and is doing the uh, choppy arm move, arm <laughs> <Yeah>. movements. Um, <laughs> uh, 
so so that so they'd have these two big like you know mtv hits which were crossing over into the pop charts and i think you know and they made a conscious decision to uh um make a more like dance oriented accessible album on Mm -hmm. speaking in tongues so they were at their commercial peak at the time so apparently uh you correct any of this if, if i have this wrong Demi, Jonathan Demi saw them on this tour Mm. or maybe he saw one of their videos or whatever. And he really liked them. And he said, he went to them and said, Hey, it would be cool to uh, make a film of this. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Byrne agreed. Um, Apparently their record label did not pay for this movie to be made. No, no. They had to raise all the funds themselves. And so they conceptual so Demi and Byrne conceptualized this movie. And I, I guess the thing that I never knew before, and I only learned through listening to actually there's a very very nice commentary on the DVD. Um the commentary was done it later in the nineties, and it's got all the members of the band and Jonathan Demi. Wow. But they're all in separate conversations. Oh. They're all recorded, they're all from different sessions edited together into one commentary. So they're not talking to each other. They're talking solo. Mm -hmm. So you get input from every one of them about the making of it. Uh, And it's really great. And if you're a fan of the film, it's definitely worth checking out. It's on the Blu-ray too. Part of the conceptualization was to do, you know, to make it visually interesting as a concert film, because neither, Mm -hmm. nobody wanted to make just a basic standard, boring concert movie. Mm -hmm. And I guess this is the this was the trick of the movie is that if you had seen them earlier in this in this on this tour, this is not what you would have seen. Huh. This was all devised, all the visual stuff, even the order of the songs was devised for the movie to make this experience as cinema. It starts with David Byrne coming out on stage alone with an acoustic guitar. And then and a, a completely bare stage as well. Like there's and a no bare stage. There's no, and there's no curtain. There's no curtain. Yeah. You're actually seeing the bare, you know, the brick wall. And then each subsequent song, another, another band member joins him. Um, uh, more gear gets rolled out on the stage. Um, curtains eventually uh, get pulled. And, and, and so that, so that maybe midway through the film, you know, there's like seven or eight people on stage. And then by the end of the movie, it's like a dance party. Yeah. Um, uh, but this was not the way th- this was all done for the movie to make this film the way it looks so seamless. They shot it over four nights. One to get the the performances, you know, a variety of performances to pick mm-hmm. choose from, but also they, they laid out, the cameras in such a way that on one night, all the cameras were on the right side of the stage mm-hmm. <laughs> filming towards the left. And then the next night they'd all be on all the camera equipment would be on the left side of the stage filming towards the right. The film you're seeing at the end is a, is a composite of four different nights of performance <laughs> specifically edited so that you never see any of the cameras Except for the times when you're intentionally meant to see them, right? Like when they're when they're being rolled in yeah. on stage. Yeah. If you if you look closely and if you're familiar with playing an instrument, 
Mm-hmm. You'll see a couple. Of, you'll see a number of times throughout the movie that hand hand positions on guitars are not matching up exactly uh, to what yeah. you're seeing, and it's because um, they're you know they in the editing bay you know they had to choose which takes were best looking. Right. There's also a whole other story about the sound of this movie, and apparently it was all digitally recorded. So apparently, like the the Blu-ray, you know, has a 5.1 mix that's made from the original tapes because it was digitally recorded, multi-track. And right. um, I think this was they, the first movie ever to do that. That's possible. It so it has an amazing sounding soundtrack. Um, yeah, and you know it did back then, but it you know it still does today. He. You know, he, again, the art guy coming from downtown, uh, you know, uh, New York, he dated choreographers. He wrote okay. a score for uh, dance pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was always, always interested in dance, um, and, and, you know, as yeah. a visual, you know, as a visual representation of music and, and the interaction therein, uh, you know, or, or dance as a visual art, mm-hmm. um, uh, in addition to musical interpretation. So he apparently, I, I haven't seen this bonus feature, but apparently you can see his, uh, you can see his drawings, his conceptual oh, drawings wow. for, for how this, for this whole movie. Wow. Um, he basically sketched out a lot of this. Do you mind just talking about the album briefly? Oh, yeah. No, not at all. I've only heard if we're going to talk about the album, I, I personally have only heard the original soundtrack album that came out right after this movie did. Um, I have, the 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 original vinyl copy um listen to it all the time love it but it is only nine songs yes if I'm, it is nine songs i'm looking at it in my itunes it's 47 minutes mm-hmm. it's nine songs whereas the movie is like you know an hour and a half um now part of that is that some of the songs that appear in the film had already been on their live album from 1981 Oh right! Called this is the name of the uh, the name of this band is Talking Heads, right? And it's a double album recorded late seventies, early eighties. Some as a four piece, some as like a six piece. Mm-hmm. But but there's an overlap of like once in a lifetime. Uh, it that's very odd to re- to re- to to repeat a song from a live album just from three years ago. Right. But th- but the performances are different enough that it makes sense. But stop making sense. The original live album is only nine songs, and it heavily features songs from their most recent album, uh, Speaking in Tongues. Right. And that was the album that I would hear all the time. <laughs> uh, and and personally, I find the, the transition from Psycho Killer, the first song, to the second song, Swamp, very odd and very jarring. Yeah, it's, it's not a smooth transition at it's, all. It's much more gradual in the movie version because well i guess that's the spoiler is that you know in the movie they kind of organically are adding members and and kind of complicating the songs and the arrangements you know piece by piece you're kind of watching this uh building all a gradual build yeah exactly whereas on this on the on the on the original album as is recorded it's more like a party record Right. It, it very it, much betrays the, the concept of the movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's almost all upbeat, danceable, new wave, lots of keyboard songs. Like, yeah. Um, with a lot of like sing alongs and chants and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have any of the dark material of their kind of earlier albums. Right. And it doesn't have, 
or well of their mid period albums. And it doesn't have any of the quirky new wave of the, of the very first two albums. Right now that stuff, the stuff I, uh, spoilers. I mean, that's my favorite stuff actually is the, maybe the first four or five albums. Mm-hmm. Mine um, as well. Yeah. And, and, and that stuff is very well represented on the name of this band is talking heads, mm-hmm. which I highly recommend. Yeah. Um, but they'd moved on by this time and they did, right. they'd crossed over. And so there's a conscious choice to make this a poppier record. So I think that's why those songs were picked for that album. That's actually a perfect segue for us to kind of go track by track of the movie and just kind of explain the songs a little bit. As as listeners um, may or may not know, I, I'm not going to be putting in sound clips. Um, as of last year, I, I, I kind of stopped doing that because there's been a, a legal clampdown on a lot of platforms. So we're, we'll be describing the songs as best we can. I do highly encourage you to listen to the we, we didn't mention, but listen to there's an expanded um, version of the soundtrack as well. That's a more complete version. Um, yeah, and that's become that's with. become the default version. Oh, okay. The, yeah, um, like I I think it's actually hard to find that original version mm. now. See, and I did um, not realize that. Although I will say there are two bonus performances on the DVD of songs that didn't make the original cut of the movie. Have oh, you ever seen those? No. Um, they would have appeared. They would have appeared somewhere in the middle, probably because mm. it's the full band. But it's um, it's they're they're really good, mm-hmm. uh, and they're kind of almost a little weird songs that maybe don't fit the the overall vibe of the show. Hmm. Um, and I so I can see why they were cut yeah. for time. <clears throat> um, or they're they're I will say like the one negative thing I'll say about the talking heads mm-hmm. of when I used to have thousands of negative things to say <laughs> is that there is a sameness or, or a, or a uh, formula that they'd mm-hmm. fallen into at this point. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple songs that when they start, I can't tell, I cannot identify which song they are Oh, okay. because they sound uh, and I mean, sonically, they sound or rhythmically feel like some of the other songs mm-hmm. in the set. Yeah, that that makes um, sense. So, so I can so I can see why they pruned, yeah, uh, things. But um, an hour and fifteen minutes is not a long concert movie, or maybe it is. You know what? Yeah, concert movies are a strange animal. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think the length is perfect. I think it's a totally appropriate. I can't really imagine it being any longer without it feeling slightly bloated one of the first things you see is uh these hand-drawn titles come mm. up and they are done by pablo Ferro, mm. yeah. who was a veteran um title sequence designer and he designed and you might recognize the font because he hand drew them mm-hmm. this is the same font as dr strangelove Oh, by Kubrick, of course, yes. From 1964, yes. these kind of like long, uh, elongated letters mm-hmm. um, that kind of come card by card, um, you know, in repetition. Yep. Um, you know, so and he also did the Thomas Crown Affair, Bullet, mm-hmm. Midnight oh, yeah. Cowboy, Clockwork Orange, wow. Harold and Maude being there. So he was a buddy of Hal Ashby's. Actually, Hal Ashby gets credited it's get a special thanks. And he was like a mentor of Demi of Jonathan Demi, I believe. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so there's a, 
there's a connection there. Yeah. Connection there. Um, so the cards uh, introduce all the members of the backing band, um, which we'll get to gradually as they show up, mm-hmm. and all the members of the Talking Heads, and um, yeah, and then uh, you see David Byrne's feet yep. <laughs> as he walks on stage. He says, uh, and he goes up to the mic and he says, "I have a tape I want to play." He presses play on this boombox. Does anyone remember boomboxes? <laughs> Did you ever have a boombox? Oh yeah, yep. They, um, all through high school, I had a boombox. So when he presses play on this beatbox, uh, he's ostensibly playing a tape, and this drum, this drum machine beat starts. Mm-hmm. But again, the uh, all you know, film F is for for fake. It's actually a drum machine being played from yeah. the soundboard, <laughs> um, which you can kind of tell at a certain point because the patterns start switching up right, or, or right. New, new buttons are getting pressed um, perfectly in sync with uh, whatever burn is playing. But right. so the boom drum beat, is a prop. Yeah, the boom bot is a prop. Um, but, uh, you know, it's part of this illusion that's going on. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and it's part of it's ironic because he's. He like we said, he's on a bare stage. You're seeing all the back background uh, gear of a theater. Mm-hmm. It looks like this shouldn't. It looks like a sound check, but this is actually the start of the performance. Uh, and he plays this song "Psycho Killer," which is from their first album, yeah. uh, on acoustic guitar. And it's a very quirky song. It's a great song. The previous live album has a full band performance of this, and that's my preferred version. Yeah, and, yeah, is because the. It's, it's a great job, you know, minimal rock new wave yeah. song. It's classic. Yeah. Um, you know, slightly, you know, strange alienated lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't think it's literally about a, a serial killer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I but wouldn't it, put it past yeah. David Byrne either way. <laughs> yeah. And apparently you know, there's a, like, I guess the bridge is in French. And apparently that was one of his early collaborations with, Tina Weymouth was that she knew French. Mm-hmm. And so he asked her to translate the lyrics into French. So she oh, technically okay. get, technically gets a songwriting credit on that song because <laughs> she translated them into French. You also notice that he's, he's, he's doing some of these awkward movements. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, at a certain point, like the drum machine starts kind of hiccuping mm-hmm. and he starts reacting to that, like going into these kind of convulsions. <laughs> right. So he, he seems like a, you know, a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I guess uh, by the time that song's ending, you start seeing stagehands wheeling in platforms and stuff. So, so movement is going on behind him by the time the song ends. The next song is Heaven. Mm-hmm. And this is where uh, Tina Weymouth enters yep. on bass. It's essentially a duet the- between the two of them or with the two of them. Uh, well, it's yeah, kind of. She's, she's playing bass. Mm. It's a quiet ballad. It's from um, Fear of Music. Fear of Music, yep. and it's a little more arranged on on that album, but it's still like a, this weird kind of you know. It's a haunting song. It's yeah. very beautiful. Uh, it's kind of conventional actually in its chord construction. Standards. Yeah, but it's very it's very kind of somber and sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's lovely, and uh, you actually hear another vocalist duetting with him. And that is Lynn Mabry, but she's off stage at the moment Mm -hmm. and she, she will enter soon. Well, actually she's, she's not going to come in for a couple more songs. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so 
that alone, like this duet with this, you know, this female vocal harmonizing with David, like elevates it into another level from the original studio version. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of spooky. Right. But this, this, this is almost, you know, is spiritual. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's uplifting. Yeah. Um, uh, the drums get moved in at this point. So now, you know, stuff is about to happen. <laughs> so, so here, yeah, you're seeing roadies move in this equipment. Yeah. Um, and, uh, there's, you know, there's no, there's no acknowledgement really by the band of this going on behind them. Right. It's, it's, it's definitely an interesting, of, um, the next song is thank you for sending. What? Thank you for sending me an angel. Is that true? Uh, is that right? Let me just say, yep. mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I had too. So that's the first song on their second album. Mm-hmm. And so by now buildings and food, <laughs> right? Chris France is now the drummer is out there and it mm-hmm. starts with this kind of rat a tat tat beat. Um, and it's, it's very propulsive. And so yeah. now we're into, now we're into the, the rock and roll is starting. Yeah. Um, and that's a really charming song that again, like, that did not make it onto the original soundtrack album and it's too bad, but, but he's still playing acoustic guitar, but it's a, it's a nice, Three piece, you know, upbeat new wave tune. Yeah. Um, I will notice note that uh, yeah, David Byrne and Tina are both wearing gray. Mm-hmm. So there's there's some costume coordination going on here. Yeah. Tr- you know, trying to make things seem as unpretentious and unflashy as possible. Right. You know, again, like we said, <laughs> this is this is antithetical to glam rock or yeah, or to or to punk, yeah, as it were, or even mm-hmm. like even yeah well yeah gray so it's gray um chris chris france however is wearing a turquoise <laughs> right. polo shirt sort of an affront to i guess the instructions that he was given by david byrne because david was very explicit that he wanted like neutral colors entirely um yes yeah. right <laughs> i will say i did see the, i did see this movie in mm-hmm. um when i was in college but I saw it on a double bill with the kids are all right. Really? The who that is documentary. a bizarre uh, mix. <laughs> and, and uh, so the who movie played first uh-huh. and I absolutely loved it. This was in the East, East village. And so then the second, the movie after this, is this it was stop making sense uh-huh. a band a band i didn't really like mm-hmm. but it's an it's a remark i did re- i think i was smart enough to recognize that it was a well-made movie yeah <laughs> uh it probably bothered me that there was cho- choreographed dancing <laughs> like <laughs> that's where my head was at <laughs> it's not rock and roll right. right there's way there's no no instruments getting smashed but it did it, it did not convert me as the show develops once these drums come in it's kind of interesting, actually, because the previous two songs, one was called Heaven. The next song was Thank You for Sending Me an Angel. Oh, yeah. So then the next song is Found a Job. Um, I believe Jerry Harrison. Yeah, Jerry Harrison, the fourth member, joins on stage playing rhythm guitar. Yeah. Now, he was a late later addition to the group after they moved to New York from from Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And he had had previous experience playing with Jonathan Richmond. Oh, yeah. Yep. Who, frankly, I don't know that well. I, I, I don't either. I need I, to correct I know that. about him. Um, he's kind of like old, old fashioned, kind of retro, mm-hmm. but 
um, like rock and roll oriented in the way that the Velvet Underground were. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of a minimal, quirky, slightly humorous mm-hmm. take on, on rock. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I think he never really crossed over because he was frankly too quirky. Right. But he was doing that kind of minimal rock thing Mm -hmm. in the early 70s when that was not in that was not in vogue right right um but jerry harrison had played with him um and he so he's a guitarist but also a keyboard player and that's why he Mm -hmm. that's why he appealed to the heads yeah um like the first couple albums don't have a ton of keyboards on them but they get more and more as they go on so found a job is a great song from i think their second album i hate to even try to guess what what these songs are ever really about. Yeah. But, but it describes this couple who find they reignite their relationship by, um, uh, try, trying to turn their life into a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that's the job that he found, uh, but found it, found a job. It's really propulsive yeah. tune that, um, has a really nice, uh, coda where they kind of drone out for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, over this repeated pattern and this melody comes in on top of it. And uh, uh, it's reminiscent of like some of the stronger Velvet Underground material or um, anyway, it's a really cool song. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ne- So then they jump, I mean, <laughs> period wise to Slippery People. Yeah. Which is like um, by this time uh, the singers have come out mm-hmm. um, and the singers are Lynn Mabry and Edna Holt. Two African-American women. Uh, Lynn Mabry actually used to sing for P-Funk. Yes, I, I saw that. I believe that they might be on the that studio album, too, Speaking in Tongues. But hmm. um, before that, Heads were not using back backing vocalists. No. Um, you, know, back, you know, the most backing vocals you'd get would be Burn plus Eno um, harmonizing. Um, <laughs> right. You know, I, w- what I mean is that Byrne would do his own harmony vocals most of the yeah. time, you know, or the other members would sing harmony, but, but, but now they've employed full on backing Back singer. Yeah. Like as if they were a soul band, as if yeah. they were, yeah. you know, Ike and the Ikeettes, you mm-hmm. know, uh, like, you know, um, and, you know, again, which to the addressing this project that I think Byrne was had put himself on of like um, we're going to make an accessible form of music that appeals mm-hmm. to people, all types of people yeah. We're you know, we're, we're going to get away from that art school, downtown punk rock, minimal thing. We're going to go towards a kind of gentle humanistic uh, maximalism. Yeah. Maximalism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and try to embrace people rather than, uh, you know, putting them uh, rather than alienate them, yeah. alienating them. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, slippery people, duh, you know, is about, you know, well, uh, never mind. I'm not, again, I'm not going <laughs> to venture to what it's not, but it's very, uh, uh, more obtuse lyrics from David Byrne, <laughs> but it is a full on dance number. Yes. Um, uh, C- Steve scales has now joined on percussion and enthusiastic backing vocals occasionally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, so he's playing, he's usually playing hand percussion, but he does have a little, a little like drum, uh, drum setup. It's, yeah. It's, it's very symbols and bells and stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's very simplistic. Um, but a lot of the time he's, he's kind of out front on the front line with them, you know, playing a hand, you know, playing a conga or bongos or something. Yeah. 
Uh, and he's a really charismatic, enthusiastic performer. Uh, on this song, Jerry Harrison moves from guitar to back to keyboards. So again, like all the platforms are out, are out now. Right. So now you've got these keyboards on a platform behind them and the, and the extra percussion on a platform. Yeah. So it's much more like a regular stage setup that you'd see. Mm-hmm. And then they move straight to um, burning down the house, yep. burning down the house, mm-hmm. which was the big hit from speaking in tongues. Yeah. Um, do you remember the music video for that song? Vaguely. Yeah. I remember them all being in the, 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 the oversized suit and there's like something I wonder there was like a puppet show kind of thing. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. It's been many years, but. So, but there's this, it kind of ironic, it ends on this iconic shot of, um, traveling down a road at night with the white lines, the white broken line. And then David Burns face superimposed. That's right. Yes. Over the lines. Yeah. And the joke always was or became, oh, that's like Coke, cocaine <laughs> going up his nose. <laughs> and that, I always thought that was a joke. But it turns out that according to some source that I can't <laughs> verify at the moment, everybody, all the males on stage, <laughs> all the male members of this group were on cocaine during this movie. No kidding. Wow. Yes. I guess I'm, I'm not terribly surprised, but. <laughs> um, which goes a long way to, yeah, to, to, to explaining some of the, you know, the, the, the jumping around yeah. and the sweating <laughs> right. and the, the enthusiastic shouts <laughs> from band members. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm not telling tales out of school this but I, i'm i can't find the exact source of that quote but it, <laughs> but it apparently is verified and if, if 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 you know the song genius of love by tom tom club oh, yeah. which we will be hearing soon mm-hmm. she she had specifically mentions doing cocaine in yes. that song so <laughs> so the, the, i'm not making this up and i'm not besmearing anyone's reputation right <laughs> um such were the uh, times but, right but it's a great song. Bur- oh, so now the last member has joined. Bernie Worrell mm-hmm. has joined on. Oh no, no, not the last member on on keyboards. Right, and uh, he also is from P Funk, but like a veteran Parliament Funkadelic yeah. player all the way back to the early seventies. Um, and he's a great keyboard player mm-hmm. in a variety of styles. Um, and uh, I'm sure they were happy to get him. Oh, actually, on also on burning down the house, Tina has moved to play synthesizer. I think she might oh, be playing right. the yeah. bass. She's playing. Yeah. I think she's playing the bass line mm-hmm. on a synthesizer. Yeah, I think that happens a, a couple other spots as well. Uh, uh, and actually, the last thing I'll say about the P funk was that apparently this phrase "burning down the house" came from Chris France going to a P funk concert, and during some encore or something, they were shouting this phrase from the stage. You know, we're going to burn down this house. You know, we're, okay. you know the, the roof is on fire or something like that. Right, right. And he came back and told David Byrne that, and was like, "Oh yeah, that's a, that's a nice phrase." Huh. Um, wow. So that's like a, that. The title is like you know an homage to mm-hmm. to P Funk. I find it a very odd song. It is. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's f- stiff but funky. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not much of like a melody to it. Na 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 na. It's very sing songy, yeah. and then the the choruses are all. Yeah, there's yeah. 
it's very like uh, uh, call and refrain. Uh, mm-hmm. what, is that the right word? Call, call and response. response. Yeah. And it's yeah. It's kind of aggressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's also like a party anthem. And uh, but I think this. I think some of the lyrics actually are you know are about like you know disconnection from you know yeah home and and, and where mm-hmm. you belong and stuff like that. Um, so it's like a it's a complicated thing, but it's very hooky. You didn't really grow up on MTV the way I did, but like, no. you know, like I said, I was in high school in the mid eighties. So I was watching, you know, I was watching M- MTV was my radio. You're, mm. you're, I had stopped listening to top 40 radio. I, li- I listened to the, the, the rock station, uh-huh. but like, but MTV was a giving me like all st- styles, all various styles of music. Um, oh, well, <laughs> They weren't playing black artists, right? right. <laughs> as, as David except, Bowie made note of, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they played Michael Jackson and Prince plenty, but yeah, but um, not beyond that. Uh, but so, I guess what I'm saying is, in my mind, Talking Heads were ubiquitous, like the, the, they were a major band. But I don't know that their chart chart uh, profile was actually quite as high, like on the main to the mainstream. W- w- in any case, I, I mean this 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 album, you know, really broke them. through through right this and is this like song what made them kind of like basically household names yeah yeah but it's still a quirky weird song mm-hmm. and so um well and like i said like to me it was a little too weird and then the next song is life during wartime yeah which is an earlier song that's from, another one from fear of music from fear of music yeah. but it predicts this new style that they've now grown into mm-hmm. Because it's an upbeat, fast-moving dance song. Yeah, one of the few from that album, I think, that are real. You know, it is jarring. It is jarring on that record yeah. when that song comes to yeah. my, to my ears. Um, uh, now that's the song that literally mentioned. Uh, uh, this this ain't no party. This ain't no disco. This you know this ain't no fooling around. Mm-hmm. Um, which should have been the title. This ain't no disco. Right. Because he does say, I think he says "life during wartime." During, but um, uh, the, the the title, yeah, it's not a prominent lyric in the song. No, but what he's describing in the lyrics is kind of uh, urban guerrilla. Um, this this fantasy he had uh, he had of living in the in the living in the Lower East Side, mm-hmm. which was at the time parts of it were scary to live in. Um, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I I arrived like around this time that it was starting to change, but, um, um, but, uh, he, he had this, he imagined this fantasy of like, you know, what if you lived in, you know, downtown New York when there was a, you know, an apocalypse going, or, or there was civil war going on yeah. and, you know, he's got this whole fantasy about having, you know, living in a bunker and collecting supplies and trying to communicate to the outside world and, uh, gathering weapons and stuff. It's actually yeah. kind of a predictive. <laughs> I was thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> song about frighteningly like, relevant Ameri- <laughs> American mentality. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's prescient yeah. in that way. Uh, you know, or it was timely then and it's probably more timely now. Yeah. But it's very, but it's, it's, it's very paranoid. The lyrics mm-hmm. um, by now, the whole band is in place stationed at their percussion and keyboard places. David Byrne is now dancing with, the backing singers wiggling around yeah. <laughs> these He's synchronized a bit. <laughs> movements, but, but it's all planned. Right. Right. Um, uh, that was another comment I read 
recently was that it's remarkable to 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 see that he had this was all choreographed yeah. because it seems so spontaneous mm-hmm. and and natural. Next tune, making flippy floppy. Yes, <laughs> making flippy floppy, <laughs> which I think is about sex. I always but assumed as sure. much. <laughs> um, uh, which is I. It's a really it's, fun song, though. I enjoy this song I, a lot. It is actually probably my favorite song on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was not on the original soundtrack LP. No. Just it, it, right. Too bad. Unfathomably. Um, uh, yeah, it's really hooky. Yeah. Um, and it's got some. Oh, oh and the and, and wow. So the visuals change abruptly. Yes. On this one to now we've got. Uh, slides projected three different screens maybe uh yeah, behind the group that's what it looked like to me it's an abrupt change mm-hmm. um with a with random words like video game sandwich facelift yeah. <laughs> which are not even lyrics in the song no <laughs> but um but the but the slides change throughout the song with different words appearing in the back all completely like seemingly non sequiturs like they really yeah right but but the three screen but they but they kind of force you to try to contextualize the three screens into into a statement you know into a sentence or something Mm -hmm. or you know into but it's 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 very clever yeah and it totally breaks up visually what we've been seeing Mm -hmm. um throughout and it's a strange contrast with the song as well you know, I, 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 yeah. I guess because the song, I mean, like you said, we're assuming it's about it's about sex, but um, it's kind of gibberish. It's kind of nonsense. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. Maybe it reflects that a little bit. I will say I noted on list, listening to it today that um, it, that the, the, the verses are kind of drones on one chord mm-hmm. uh, and then abruptly shift they modulate actually to a different uh, key i believe for the verses oh, and the verses okay. are very um kind of uh, have a different kind of hook to them mm-hmm. um so there is like a distinction between the verses eh, and the choruses which again is part of their formula well right. th- there's another song coming up that does a similar thing uh to where they kind of maintain a groove on the verses and then and then the chord changes appear in the choruses right to kind of give it that extra punch i just explained i just explained rock and roll basically (laughs) (laughs) but but it's very noticeable yeah on some of these songs you know what maybe that just goes to prove how unorthodox their songwriting approach is most of the time you know (laughs) how it stands in in comparison to what traditional rock and roll is yeah it and it but it does it does show that that by this time they they'd kind of mastered this craft of making the verses, like I said, are drones, but they often have little bits of maybe like dissonant chords mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Or, or odd melodies or odd notes in the verses. Mm-hmm. And then when they shift to the choruses, suddenly things become sunny and harmonious and, you know, major chord. Um, and it's, so they'd kind of learned from making those darker experimental records. They they were able to mix that with this kind of more pure spiritual uh, yeah vibe right um or like an upbeat vibe mm-hmm. that they mix the dark and the light. Next song is swamp swamp yep, <laughs> which is this kind of 
I confess, I always thought this song was by somebody else. Oh, really? <laughs> like, like when I would hear this song at parties, mm-hmm. I thought I did not recognize it as Talking Heads hmm. because he's singing in this weird affected voice. Yeah. He's kind of imitating a blues singer. Yeah, I can hear what you're saying. Yes. And and then the, the chorus is. Hi, 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 hi. And um, so I went out to hear this at, par- at parties. I thought it was about drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it certainly still could be. <laughs> it still could be. But, <laughs> uh, but it sounds like nothing else in their catalog. Yeah. It's, 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 so it's, it, it is very, appropriately, it is very swampy sounding. Yeah, it's kind of like this New Orleans style blues. Yeah, it's a little slower than the other numbers, yes. but it's still danceable. Um, uh, the lighting is great on this one. The performance is fantastic. Um, I noticed that there's a red background on Tina. Mm-hmm. She's playing keys on this again. Yes, yeah, she. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so the slides are gone by now, I believe. Yeah, they didn't. They, they weren't around. around. That was um, only for that one song. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of close-ups of David Byrne, um, and a lot of acting from him <laughs> on the original soundtrack album. This is the second song yeah. and it it's, shows up right after Psycho, Killer. after Psycho Killer. And, and it, so it doesn't have that build that the movie, you know, the, right. this movie kind of by starting with a song from their first album and making it really stripped down, mm-hmm. it kind of not exactly parallels but it but it kind of demonstrates the growth the growth musical growth of the group yeah as the set is progressing yeah next tune is what a day that was what a a day that was now had you were you familiar with this song i had heard it i wasn't super familiar with it but i i I definitely had heard it before uh yeah so yeah this is from his catherine wheel soundtrack Mm -hmm. which was a soundtrack to a dance performance that he did as a solo album right. around this time. And it's yeah. only got it like a right after, of, I think it was like right after they did remain in light. I think he did Catherine wheel. Maybe. Yeah. And it, it, it actually employs some of those same techniques. Um, and it's mostly instrumental, but it mm-hmm. does have a couple of songs that he sings on and none of the other heads appear eh, they might appear as session players on it but it's got a variety of players on it it's mostly instrumental it's very good actually it is yeah um i only recently heard it for the first time Mm -hmm. um and this song is on it but it's in a more stripped down version um and i'm super impressed with this song yeah yeah (laughs) this performance like you know he brought this song to the group you know again he's the leader of the group so he, so he's putting together this set list and he's like, Hey, I've got this other song. It's not a talking head song, but you guys are going to play it. <laughs> you don't have any choice, right. but they turn it into his talk. They turn it into a head song. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, and it this, sounds phenomenal. And this is another, this was the other example I was thinking of where the verses are kind of drones and then the, just go into a different, different space yeah. melodically yeah. for the verse. The, the, the chorus to this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Very melodic. Yeah. Um, he sings great on it. Um, Probably one of the more in- instantly um, ear catching from the whole soundtrack, I would say from Catherine wheel anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But I can imagine he, t- t- in his mind, 
you know, as well as that record might have done, mm-hmm. it was only that's like a cult album, yeah, you know, yeah. basically. You know, the first solo album from the leader of the Talking Heads, and it's mostly instrumentals. Right. Um, so he probably recognized that that's a good song. Like it could get a new lease on life right. with this with the full band know, with this film right. project. Yeah. With this full band. Um uh visually it's distinct. Um now everyone is lit from underneath. Yes. Like uh from you know front front of stage projected so you know projecting big shadows on the on the on the, on the screens in the back mm-hmm. so again distinct visually from the song before it um somebody's i will note musically somebody's playing slide guitar <laughs> you know right. there's two guitarists on stage at this point but i'm not i i did not verify who's playing it but it's it's very subtle it's very nice yeah it's a nice um, touch yeah you know someone's playing like a, a rhythm guitar but then there's someone else playing these kind of little subtle lead lines on on slide guitar mm-hmm. um which actually is a sound that will be more prevalent in later talking heads records as they oh, get yeah. more into americana that's on, true. on their next yeah. couple of albums there's a lot of slide guitar um presumably played by jerry harrison um yeah, uh, so. on 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 little creatures and uh, true, true stories. stories. Yeah, like this whole flirtation with funk and African music kind of gets cleaned out of their system mm-hmm. <laughs> after <laughs> this period. Yep, because the next two albums are focused on Americana mm-hmm. and country, and like you know, and it's uh, this very strange detour a, they take. There's a little bit of like uh, Cajun style going on too, uh, like yeah. New Orleans style on road to nowhere yeah. and whatever with the accordion and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like they, they, their interests completely shift after this. It's like, yeah. they did it. They, you know, they toured it, <laughs> they made it, filmed it and they mastered it, but it's, you know, like that's the, the journey of the really adventurous artist is always is like, you know, once you've done it and once you've mastered it, you got to move and on. Right. Right. Um, next tune is this must be the place. Yeah. Uh, naive, naive melody. melody. Yeah. Which I think is the last song on speaking in tongues. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this is a charming as hell. Mellow song. Apparently burn in the original studio version. Burn is the one who came up with the, that synth line that we, Oh yeah. Woo-woo-woo. Uh, but I think here, uh, I'm not sure who's playing it now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tina. Oh, Tina is playing guitar on this one, and they've brought out a prop. To David Byrne is dancing with a floor lamp. <laughs> yeah, <that's so> strange. <laughs> um, all the all the females in the group are at the front of the stage, and and he's near them dancing with this lamp. And they've turned down the lights in the back. And, and when I say a floor lamp, yeah, it's like a stand. It's like as tall as he is, and he is he's dancing with this lamp and then he starts doing James Brown microphone moves <laughs> with it, dropping, you know, like dropping it to the floor and bouncing it back up and catching it and stuff. And so it is so funny. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> and he gets he he has this like big smile on his face at the end because he pulled off this stunt. Right. Like like again, this is something choreographed and it probably didn't always work or, you know. Or he had to practice it a lot. Oh yeah, to do it. Yeah, because he's legitimately doing this this physical stunt um, while his band is playing. Mm-hmm. 
And um, on one of the on one of those four nights, it worked at least. Uh, but he has so this huge grin for the movie. <laughs> he has this huge grin on his face when he pulls it off. Yeah. So the song itself is kind of it was about home. Uh, that's like a repeated word throughout the song, and it you know it's about you know finding a place that you feel at home, mm-hmm. um, whether it's with a person or an actual place. I mean, that's the name of the song. This must be the place. Right. Um, but but the way they've lit it with this lamp and him up front, like it conjures up this kind of family feeling mm-hmm. of like, uh, you know, being at home with, around the hearth, you know, uh, you know, um, around with your loved ones. Right. And, and, and that light is like, you know, his partner, his dancing partner, um, along with like the women playing music behind him, you know, like th- there's this support group and, and, and he's part of it. And so, yeah. so that's so like the visual is is interpreting the actual lyrics of the song. It's, it's great. very cool. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting thinking ahead to the next song, Once in a Lifetime, how thematically that song kind of tears that whole thing apart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. I'm looking at my notes at the, mm-hmm. the Wikipedia and uh, yeah, Once in a Lifetime, which is what from Remain, Remain in Light, light mm-hmm. um, does have songwriting credit for Eno. So it's Byrne, oh, Eno, yeah. France, Harrison, Weymouth. Um, so Ber- Eno didn't get his name on the front cover, but he did get into some of the songwriting mm-hmm. credits. Um, so Once in a Lifetime is a great song. That that was probably the first Talking Head song I ever heard because that had a music video. Uh, again, the one with the him miming the chopping right that was motion on his arm at pretty prominent on mtv yes it was um and it has this nice noodly uh kind of repetitive keyboard sequence and very memorable um yeah the do 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 and the great riff the do 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 yeah the do 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 it's very propulsive but it's kind of it's kind of a drone Mm -hmm. again though with like these very active choruses Na 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 na. Again, that call and response thing. Yep. And my favorite little Which, detail of that chorus too that um took me years to even notice it was there. It's during the chorus, the very faint, subtle little like um guitar line that's playing in the background to give us that little extra push to make the song drive along. I love it. Sure. Yep. There. Yeah. There's tons of layers in that song, and 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 uh. It, I think you know it's a very it was a very significant um, yeah like moment moment right. for 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 him and for, sorry for Burn and Eno to have created that because right. because that was probably the most commercial thing that Brian Eno had ever been involved in absolutely and yet it's still a weird song yes <laughs> um, interestingly the, the video the music video was choreographed by the famous Tony Basil of Oh Mickey You're So Fine fame oh my gosh right right. <laughs> I think he might have actually, yeah, he might have even dated her for a while. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he, uh, of, You know, it's funny, now that I'm thinking about it, those two videos are not that different. The white background, the the extreme close-ups and camera work. and Sorry, yeah. I just had a little moment there. <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting to A-B them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in fact, so for this live performance, he actually re, uh, re, restates his iconic video, mm-hmm. um, by he dons the glasses that he wore in that video. Um, and, 
he does the hand gestures. Uh, um, mm-hmm. um, he kind of comes off like a TV preacher or like a man in a TV, like in a like an ad man, right? Trying to sell you a product. Mm-hmm. Like that's the way the lyric, the verses are kind of shouted out. Yeah, or I always got like a declamatory like, statements. Right, I almost got like an evangelical vibe. You know, evangelical, like, exactly. Yeah, preacher, yes. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I will say, uh, just uh, as I was, we were just pre- <laughs> praising the the production of the original studio version. I did notice on close listening to this that they've kind of removed the enosification. Yeah, oh, very much. <laughs> when so. they play it, yeah. when they play it live, it does not have that same kind of water underground right. vibe. No, not at that all. The, it's the original faster. version. Had. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Like even though More everyone's straight laced. I think people are still playing generally the same parts, but it's missing that kind of connective uh, ambient texture yeah. that, you know, yeah. is specific to, to, to you know, right. production work, um, which is not a slam on it. No, but, no. but that would be hard but, uh, to hard to replicate in a live setting as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, oh. And another thing is that the with these new with these new backing vocalists, the harmonies are changed completely. Oh, yeah. Yep. That, that I noticed mm-hmm. that really jumps out. Yeah. Um, you know, they're singing literally different notes right. than, than were in the original mm-hmm. version. So this also, you know, um, again, like 85, 86, certain, I believe this, this version of once in a lifetime and the burning down the house got played a lot on MTV. Mm-hmm. Like the con- the concert movie version oh, wow. played okay. a lot. So, so now David Byrne leaves the stage. Mm-hmm. Time for Tom Tom Club, <laughs> and it's time for Tom Tom Club. Now the reasons for this were twofold. One, he has to make a costume change, yep. and second is again, according from that source, it was time for him to do more coke. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> kill two birds with one stone, <laughs> right? So so he talked them into. He basically told them, "Hey." You guys, you just had this hit record. You're now going to play this song in this concert, right? And it was a surprise to them. <laughs> um, like I don't, I don't know that it, this was in their reg- regular set list of the concert wow. before. Um, and apparently, the the only the only nice thing he ever said to them about mm-hmm. Genius of Love was, "You got a really good drum sound on that." <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, because basically, I guess when he was making Catherine Wheel, or maybe he was making Bush of Ghosts with Eno, mm-hmm. but they they had time, Chris and 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 Tina, yeah. who are a married couple. If we didn't, mm-hmm. I guess we didn't mention that, but they're the the rhythm section is a married couple, yeah. and so they made their own album and under had the name surprise, Tom Club. Yeah, and they had this kind of surprise hit, this kind of this you know early rap hit, right. So it, it's, it's interesting great, how great right. It's interesting how kind of both their side projects were very heavily um, huge progenitors of sampling. Yeah, I, I, that, that's kind of interesting to me. And I, I got to tell you, I've I've always people piss on this song a lot. I've always loved this song. It's it's kind of dumb, but it's I just I just love it. I think it's so, so infectious. Yeah, it's really so. This was another. Yeah, this this was a discovery for me. This album, because mm-hmm. uh, I went through their whole catalog. Yeah, last year, um, and this album is really charming. Mm-hmm. It's it it's 
it's the two of them as the rhythm section, but they employ a number of other musicians to play, uh, you know, guitars and keyboards and whatever, yeah. including Adrian Blue and some some other folks. And then the singers, the backing singers, are her sisters, Tina's sisters. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Like twin sisters or triplets or something like mm-hmm. that. Like some weird relationship I, ne- I I never knew of. But so it's it's basically like this this it's just like a girl group making a hip hop funk record. Right. It's so so uh, strange. But the whole record is fun. Like I had never heard the whole album um, and mm-hmm. it's good. So they got talked into doing this one song <laughs> and uh, yeah, actually Adrian blue even has a song songwriting credit on this song. Um, uh, uh, she, Tina raps <laughs> during <laughs> the bridge funny. and she boogies <laughs> to this strobe light. I was just going to say the stro the strobe light. I'm never, I'm not a big strobe light person, so I struggled a little bit with that, but um, it, it, it was, it's a great performance. It's so much fun. And it's really nice to see her get the spotlight. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It's really funny. Yeah. But I do have my, in my notes, why is this happening? Right, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it's so worlds away from the, from the mood that has been conjured right, up right. to this point <laughs> that it's actually kind of brilliant to puncture it. Yeah, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> and my favorite too is just seeing seeing Chris behind the drum set, just shouting like James Brown, like and just seeing the sweat pour out. It's just so so. And weird they've got and funny. This, he chants out Bohannon, Bohannon, right. Bohannon, yeah. Bohannon, which was nonsense to me. But Bohannon is actually this disco producer mm. who made a lot of really great disco hits, and I've recently gotten some of his records, and he was really good. So that was very <laughs> hip hip of them right. to name drop both yeah. Bohannon, yeah, and James Brown, yep. <laughs> James Brown. <laughs> it's fu- it's funny. Yeah. yeah. This is one of the more noticeable moments where you see more of the audience dancing and participating. Like that some of it kind of spilled over into the into the shot more in this scene than in other parts of the movie, which also kind of um punctures the mood. Yeah, that was I was going to I didn't want to spoil things, but oh, yeah, no. you don't really No, 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 no. You don't really see the crowd right in this movie until the end. Right. Like so far during this movie, they have not been cutting to the crowd. No, I, very often. The, the the only one that really stood out is there's a, a moment towards me. I don't remember what song it was. Um, might have been like I think maybe found a job. There was you could see a guy kind of standing up to like get. I don't know if he was like going to the bathroom or something, but like standing up in the audience to kind of leave his seat. And and um, there was a quick edit out of it. I think because they noticed that he was you know kind of got in the way of the shot. This is kind of interesting. It's it's yeah. it stuck out to me right away because I I knew about that they were trying to avoid any shots of the audience, so I kind of was sort of on the lookout for that to see how much of it they allowed in, and that stood right out. Next song, "Girlfriend Is Better." Mm-hmm. See, David Byrne returns to the stage. Yep, another huge hit. Silhouette, and he's got this giant gray suit on. This is this is iconic, the gray suit. Yeah, I believe it was made in Japan mm. by some designer. Um, it had to be like you couldn't hang it on a regular clothes hanger, so it had this whole like device you know, device constructed for you to like hang it hang it up on, right? For it to maintain its shape. Um, but yeah, I've never seen like a blueprint of of how it works, but. <laughs> creates this effect of like he has this tiny little head 
Right. <laughs> like it looks like he's he he doesn't look like a giant person. He no, looks, it like, looks like his head his, shrunk. He looks like his head shrunk. <laughs> um, but he manages to um dance his butt off in it. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, it, this is a girlfriend is better. Is a fantastic tune. It it's is. another one of those minimal funk electro dance songs that they do so well. Um, this this is a song that I thought like Prince probably really dug. Oh like yeah. This, this yep. song could have been on 1999 or mm-hmm. controversy or something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, where, whereas probably they heard him and were like, Ooh, let's girlfriend is better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The sense. Cause it's got these really hooky synth lines. Yeah. Um, very propulsive beat, uh, really catchy chorus at this point during this number lighting, Guys are crewmen are holding spotlights and cameramen are walking on stage frequently. Mm-hmm. Finally, breaking like kind of breaking the fourth wall of now you're seeing the artifice. Yeah. Of oh, this is being filmed, and 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 now the editor, you know, or Demi Demi are allowing us, the movie watcher, to see. Oh, this is someone's there filming this. Right. This is it starts to get real like visually it starts to get really like cacophonous at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so the, there's more activity on stage um, and there's jogging in place. Yes. <laughs> by, by I think the entire by, band. Everybody, like, I think. Yeah. Um, which, you know, uh, aerobics were very much in yes. vogue. <laughs> it's, like the the <laughs> it's like a Jane Fonda workout. It's like a Jane Fonda workout. Yeah. Then take me to the river. Yeah. Their first which hit. Is, yeah, which, yeah. Um, when I was talking earlier about their kind of commercial breakthrough, like this was actually their first kind of hit on the radio. Yeah. Which is on there. It's a cover of an Al Green song uh, from the early 70s. And yeah. it's kind of this mixture of sacred and profane mm-hmm. <laughs> because the song is both about like kind of religious baptism, but it's also about sex with like uh you know making this kind of physical contact with someone who you're in love with right a common theme Um, in al green's music (laughs) yeah um uh and it it was the like it was on their second album um when they had when they had no place (laughs) they had no place to be playing uh you know black soul music right but they but they did it in this kind of curious way that crossed over you know or was appealing to people like they're not they're not mocking the song they're playing it straight Mm -hmm. they're playing it straight but it's a you know it's a it's a weird to hear this kind of semi-spiritual tune from these dweebs right (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah. yeah um uh and again predictive of the direction they would eventually like move in right uh but it's interesting that they had that arrow in their quiver that early mm -hmm. Um, you know, people do ironic covers all the time now, or, you know, like they slow down a song, Mm -hmm. whatever, make it gloomy when it used to be upbeat. Yeah. But Uh, that was very unusual at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's really kind of shocking that it crossed over as much as it did. Yeah. Um, uh, again, the lighting, now the lighting has changed completely that you've got fluorescent lighting on both sides of the stage. So now this looks completely different. Than anything else um, we've seen. Uh, at some point, he takes his jacket off. 
Take Me to the River is a really catchy tune. Or we're probably seeing the crowd by now. I, th- I think remember. towards the end of it, yeah, they start. I mean, when everything, when the whole infrastructure of the stage starts to sort of collapse, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So with so at the end of this song, he uh, Burn introduces all the members of the band. Mm-hmm. Um, and interesting, he goes in like order as they appear on consecutively on stage he doesn't name the first the primary members of the band first he kind of just goes in order as they're mm-hmm. on stage right which i thought was interesting that he was not making distinctions between the hired guns and the actual band members i'll note that he's wearing a red baseball cap at this yeah. point which now which now has bad connotations right <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> but, at, but, but at the time it kind of just makes him appear like a normal joe right again we know he's not let me yeah. just reiterate right. that he has not been talking to the crowd up till this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's completely strict, but he's not, he's not, t- he's not giving monologues before all these tunes and whatever. No. Um, he's kind of aloof in a way, you, you know, he's, he's performing his ass off on stage. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the end of the show. And then, and then leave. cross-eyed and painless at the end. And then they come back for an encore. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. Um, now he's playing guitar again. He's playing, uh, David Byrne's playing an, a Roland synth guitar, synthesizer yeah. guitar, which, uh, was a fairly new invention. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guys in King Crimson, both Fripp and Baloo mm-hmm. sometimes, but mostly Fripp used it. Um, Andy Summers used it a bit oh, yeah. and it was a, it was a good six string electric guitar that had a special pickup in it uh interfaced with a synthesizer module mm. so you could get so rather than using effects pedals you could just you could like actually the sounds you could actually use yeah the, the knobs mm. and switches on a synthesizer to modify your sound um so that was kind of a trendy instrument at the time mm-hmm. um and he basically you know but it functions as a regular guitar but it just it has this added assortments of sounds that you can access mm-hmm. um which he basically uses just to make a bunch of noise yeah. screeching noise <laughs> right. um or, or, uh, because he ends up playing he ends up playing the part that uh, adrian blue played in the original version mm-hmm. uh which is a bunch of you know strange guitar bending noises right right um this is a kind of dark funk tune that was on the sun remain in light this remain in light this yeah. is one of my favorite talking head songs i think it's it's again it's again one of those eno produced songs it's very droney yeah. very chanty but it's really propulsive yeah. um they had been listening to fela kuti actually oh no kidding kuti yep. was, mm-hmm. was an influence on that album I can, and it I can really it. shows up yeah. on this one um uh again i could not tell you what the lyrics are about <laughs> you have no idea <laughs> There was a, na, 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 na. but you know, so it's like a drone, but then it's got the, the music is a drone, but the vocal is very melodic. Yeah. Um, on top of it, like the, mel- the melody line, mm-hmm. um, but it's a great song. Uh, I believe it, it appeared on their previous live album. So it does not appear on the, on the, <laughs> the original version of this. And I will say it's a little jarring because it is, it is different than the vibe that's been. Yeah, it's developed. it's sort of a as much as I like the song, it's a strange way to take us out. Um, yeah, right. Oh, I'm still waiting. Oh, still right. Still waiting. Yeah. It gets into this chant at the end. Oh, he does a rap in this too, mm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is weird to hear. 
um, uh, you see, so now you're seeing a lot of shots of the crowd dancing. Yeah. Um, and as they're kind of winding, uh, they keep this, uh, uh, vamp going for a while at the end. And, uh, the film crew, um, uh, starts entering the stage from both sides. Mm-hmm. So now you're seeing all the tech people, all the lighting crew and the cameramen and stuff like that. And the roadies. Um, so, you know, so now there's like dozens and dozens of people on stage at the end mm-hmm. and you're seeing the crowd dancing. So it's like the, the, the it's like the crescendo of the whole, right. the whole experience. Film. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talking about the vibe of this song, like the, the feel of it, the, the two songs that I said were outtakes mm-hmm. that are on the DVD are kind of more in this vibe of like new wave drone funk. Oh, right. Yeah. Cause one, I know it's so, cities, right? Cities. Mm-hmm. Right. And the other one is buildings. I'm uh, sorry. Big, oh, uh, big business, big, big business, yeah. which is from Catherine wheel, mm-hmm. which then trans, then they go into E Zimbra. Oh, okay. Yep. Which is like very African. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they took those songs out of the movie because they didn't really fit the the sequencing correctly. Yeah. If if you know what I mean. Um, they're but they're good performances. Actually, you could probably watch them on YouTube easier. It's true. <laughs> Digging up the, right. the, 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 <laughs> the DVD. DVD. Yeah. Um, I will say, yeah. So you saw that you watched this on Amazon Prime. Prime yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's on. Yeah, it's streaming on Prime. It's not always there. Yeah, this um, I noticed this kind of comes and goes from different streaming services. Usually, like it used to be on Netflix, but I think it's probably not now. I notice if it goes dif- disappears from one, it usually right away shows a, shows up on a different one. Yeah. So you kind of have to just um, pin it down. It has had a number of DVD releases, mm-hmm. and it has had a Blu-ray release at least once. Um, uh, it's strange because True Stories. Mm-hmm is on the Criterion Collection. Oh, right. Which is the movie that David Byrne made after this. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, this I would assume would be on Criterion, but it's not. Like it, it was, this, Oh, like in the actual collection itself. In the actual collection right. as a release. But but you said it, it used to be streaming there? It was on the channel for a while, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, which right I thing. think that made me think, Oh, they must have done a Criterion edition of this, but no, they never have. Yeah. Um, but there, but it's on DVD. It's on Blu-ray. Highly recommend it. It's got that great commentary I was talking about, mm. um, and a few other bonus features. But, um, but it's really great. Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, if if you have not seen this, like, do that right now. <laughs> Just go do it now. <laughs> um. Oh, I'm looking at my notes again. Apparently, when this was originally released on VHS mm-hmm. and Laserdisc, those additional songs were re-edited into the se- their proper places. Oh, in the no movie. kidding! That's but interesting. But for whatever reason, for whatever reason, it didn't make it over into uh, you know these current digital releases. Hmm. I will say uh, the it's filmed on film. And so it has the the limitations of being filmed on film in the dark, (laughs) largely. So uh, the Blu-ray sounds better than it looks. Oh, okay, interesting. What I'm what I'm saying is, you're probably fine getting a DVD of it Mm -hmm. because it being upgraded to HD is not as significant as you might hope. Okay, that is good to know. So 
so I bet you can find a DVD of this real cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody, but, um, but there's a limit apparently to how good the Blu-ray of this can ever look just because of the source. Yeah. I will say Demi is, I wouldn't say is a blind spot for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I've seen a handful of his films, but one noticeable thing about notable thing about Jonathan Demi is that he is a, um, journeyman director who works in a variety of styles. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I recently watched Melvin and Howard, which is oh, one of his I first, seen that. Album, uh, first uh, films, and it's really excellent. Um, but it's nothing like Silence of the Lambs. I'm sure not. <laughs> Few um, things are. <laughs> uh, but um, or Married to the Mob. Right, it's, right. Um, although it is it is a quirky comedy, whatever, mm-hmm. and it's got Mary Steenburgen, who is queen. Hmm. Um, uh, but uh, highly recommend it. Um. But uh, he ended up making a number of film documentaries, especially about Neil Young. He must have become friends oh, with Neil Young. Oh, yeah. He yeah. made a number of documentaries of Neil Young concerts. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, later, later in time. After the success of Stop Making Sense, the movie and the album, mm-hmm. they made, they returned to the studio and they made the record Little Creatures, which is a 90 degree. 45 degree turn, whatever (laughs) right turn from speaking in tongues Mm -hmm. to where now they're, they're not interested in funk or dance music. Now it's more of this Americana, right? Country adjacent country. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, road to nowhere has a a distinct kind of new Orleans vibe Mm -hmm. to it. Cajun feel to it. Uh, stay up late is, you know, very up tempo song about, you know, a baby, right? Right. How charming it is to be around, babies yeah. and she was was a big um, hit from that from that album too for people who might and not she know. was yeah, yeah exactly um uh these were big video hits mm-hmm. and um but they did not tour this record um and in fact i don't think they they never toured again after that stop making sense i was gonna say yeah, i don't think tour. they did again yep they they would play concerts I've seen dates listed like at festivals and stuff like that Mm. or one-off things, but they did not tour again. Um, But, Mm. but um, there are, yeah, there's a couple of music videos from this and I guess David Byrne got bit by the Hollywood bug (laughs) and decided to focus on making a movie. So then the project after that was uh, true stories, which is a narrative film scripted by him and directed by him and he appears in it he narrates it uh uh and it's about small town small town life in america kind of rural Mm -hmm. uh america coming into conflict with uh industrial america um john goodman is in it as a primary character swoozy kurtz is in it (laughs) eclectic mix of actors from the Tony Randall show. Did you ever see that? Do you remember that show? No, yeah. no, but I, I know who Sweezy Kurtz is though. You know who she yeah. is. Okay. Right. Is she like a Broadway actress? Yeah. She was maybe? primarily in theater, but she, she's done like some TV appearances and, you know, movies here and there that I've, I've recognized. Yeah. That's why I remember. Yeah. Um, so like he is you know, like John Goodman is this disgruntled factory worker who wants to be a singer. <laughs> and Susie Kurtz is like this rich old, rich lady who like stays in her bed all the time and is pampered. And it kind of so sounds like a like, stereotypical Swoozie Kurtz role. <laughs> right. 
Um, so it's got all these vignettes that are like oddball characters doing weird things. And it's sort of like a David Lynch movie with the darkness drained out of it. <laughs> um, it's, it's very colorful. It's very art directed. Um, it's charming, but it doesn't fully come together. Mm. Um, and then the music in it, it's sort of a musical because all, all the performers, um, all the actors, all the characters in the movie get to perform a song at some point. Um, Mm. and in fact, at some point there's even a talent show so that like, huh, there's actually an excuse for for people to be performing. (laughs) Um, and it's, it's interesting because they're all new original songs, but there are, they're mostly not being sung by Byrne. There are a couple like wild, wild life, uh, Mm. is performed by them, but that's got that famous, uh, music video, I don't know if oh yeah, where, yep. where all these different characters are lip syncing it, mm-hmm. all these people in costume and and characters from the movie, but also the members of the band dressed up in costumes huh. are lip syncing it. Um, it's it's a very clever video. It's it, and it's some of that video is in the movie, but whatever well, it's kind he of made his a own thing, version. its own thing in the they movie. They made a different version. Yeah. yeah. Um. So like I said, it's a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Now that's on the Criterion Collection. Yes. <laughs> uh, it might even be streaming there. So it's worth a look. Um, and it, and it's got a nice soundtrack of uh, uh, additional back, uh, additional backing music that mm-hmm. that Byrne produced with other players, like kind of easy listening stuff. Oh and, right. Uh, yeah. at- atmospheric things and whatever, and st- orchestral things, and so it's not all just Talking Heads music. Right. But um, but they released an album, two stories, with the band playing all these songs, mm-hmm. and that furthers this Americana kind of country influence. Um, and then they take a break. Just for it, just, just actually, it was just like a year, and then they put out Naked. Oh, is that? Oh my yeah. gosh, it, it's so different. Yeah, it's <laughs> weird. And I thought, I thought, uh, I guess you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um it seemed like they disappeared. Um, Cause I remember it was a big deal when naked came out mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, the talking heads new record. But I guess that's what happens when you don't tour. <laughs> right. You right. Know, back then, like, you know, if you take a year off, that's like a lifetime um, back then. Back then. Yeah. People think you're, you've disappeared right. or broken up but anyway, but naked is very different than their previous stuff. Um, it's a mixed bag. It has some good stuff on it, but it barely sounds like the talking heads right, anymore. Right, frankly, right they kind of disappeared and then officially broke up a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And in the meantime, Byrne was making solo records, yep. which I'm not really familiar with, but you've heard. Yeah. I, I'm pretty familiar with his solo output and it's, it's, you know, it's mostly very good. I, a lot of it is, is a more musically diverse than what he was doing with the talking heads, just probably by virtue of him having the freedom to be, it's just, it's a, it's a pretty different beast from what the talking heads ever did and but like he dabbled with with you know lots of soundtrack stuff um opera um straight up rock yeah i guess i was under the impression he kind of got sucked into world music forever mm. and and i and i kind of lost touch with him right um but he, was was he was he making like an album in one style and then moving on to a different style for the next album or yeah was he a lot of a lot up? of it was yeah kind of concepty albums like he did for example, he did like a score, or like a musical soundtrack score with like Ricci Sakamoto. He did something for Philip Glass. He did, um, uh, then he then he would do like a world music album. Then he would write like like um, 
he did like an opera thing with Rufus Wainwright, just like stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, he did that album with St. Vincent maybe like six or seven years ago. Um, yeah. Which is like maybe that. the most straight up rock and roll thing he's ever done. Was he continuing to play live? Oh yeah. Yeah. He, you said, you said you'd seen yep, him. I live. saw him maybe, gosh, um, I want to say it was maybe around 2009 or 10. He, you know, I think it was right after he put sure. out, he made a second album with Brian Eno in uh, 2008. It's called Everything That Happens Will Happen Today. Um, and I think it was right, it was not long after that came out. And it, it was great. It was, it, was, it was a really good show. Um, was this in New York or in It was Buffalo? in Buffalo. Yeah, it was at um, University of Buffalo at the college. It didn't seem to have like a lot of... Um, thematic coherence it was more just kind of like a you know an assortment of solo tracks he didn't play anything by the talking heads um that's so weird (laughs) but even did but like he even did one of his opera pieces he performed it was like the third song he did and and which is kind of going back to when i had made that comment about i think he's a very underrated vocalist that's that was a prime example because hearing him sing an opera piece live i'm like this is really weird and really really good (laughs) that's cool yeah wow and of course it was like a canned orchestra that he had playing out of you know out of a computer but Uh, still he apparently you know after the heads broke up or even the actual breakup of the band like he was always an aloof (laughs) yeah hard hard to communicate with figure Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um it seems like the group just the group broke up without any of the others even knowing it and he kind of had to tell them Oh wow! You know, like oh, the, the band just broke yeah. up, um, and and apparently there were weird business deals or licensing deals that um, that they got shut out of, mm-hmm. or or there's some sort. Uh, I'm not taking sides here. Right, I'm just right. saying there was bad blood yeah. basically yeah. in the years since then. Right. There's there's been a they they released a, like a four CD box set mm-hmm. that he probably had complete control yeah. over, and none of them had any input to. Yeah. Although apparently when, when the catalog was remastered for that big, have you ever seen that brick, mm. that white, mm-hmm. that white box set of the CDs? Yeah. Um, apparently Harrison was involved in the remastering of all that. In 2019 or 2020, uh, David Byrne decided to reintegrate some of that Talking Heads material in with his solo material yeah. and put on this show. Almost, I don't like know. A, I don't know the origins of it. Do you? Not really. No. It's almost in in some ways. It's almost like a, it feels like a career retrospective. It's like a jukebox musical, right? Right. Done by the Done guy by who the actual wrote it. person, right? So, American Utopia. I probably should mention that I, I didn't before was actually an album first. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yes, but it doesn't have the the heads material. On. No, 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 no. Right. I mean, it's all new material. All new material. Yep. And yeah. um, okay. Yeah, and it didn't was have it recorded the... with this, these people? No, no, but um, Eno was involved with with the album as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was one of the one of the co producers, and um, it didn't have like the Janelle Monae cover in it either, which I think was a very yeah, okay, deliberate okay. Um, thematic choice. I couldn't really find too much insight as to what made him want to suddenly start, you know, integrating so much Talking Heads material into the set list, uh, you know, other than reasons of just retrospection but so so in contrast to the stop making sense which was a you know a an artificial construct uh of a concert Mm -hmm. to make a film out Mm -hmm. of 
American Utopia, the movie, is a document of a stage show that he toured with. In fact, yeah, he came here and I didn't even know about it or think about it. And then subsequently Um, it went to Broadway. And then it went to Broadway, right? Mm -hmm. And and I and and then they filmed that performance. Right. And you end up with this movie. Um so it is filmed is directed by Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. One of our American most talented directors. Absolutely. Although I also am spotty on his filmography. I, yeah. <laughs> Likewise. Frequently brilliant, often overreaching. Yep. I completely agree with you. Yep. <laughs> Sometimes he um, lets his ambitions get away, you know, run away with He's him. very self indulgent, yeah. um, but he's got the skills to to uh to pull to, it off. to earn that um like defy bloods did you watch mm-hmm. that yeah um, on netflix like it is all over yes. the place <laughs> tonally <laughs> but it is visually stunning and frequently emotionally arresting and politically charged and relevant but it's also messy yeah. and and, and I, I also felt it was far too long that's yeah that's kind of overall how i feel about it right his work um but he is brilliant visually if nothing absolutely else. so he's the perfect choice to film a you know a a you know what a, a theater right. piece that's you know a stage bound theater piece um things much like stop making sense each song has a uh you know a kind of different visual uh, uh vocabulary going on whether it's lighting or positioning on stage, mm-hmm. camera angles, um, again number of in, number of players on stage, mm-hmm. um, tightly choreographed the same way, you know. Yeah, it, yeah. well, it, it, geez, to the nth degree, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. like blocking, um, you know, so for blocking. So it has this amazing, amazing conceit of all the players in the band are also dancing, yeah, to to one degree or another. Mm-hmm. And all their in- and they're playing the instruments on stage with no chords. Yeah. So there are no drum platforms. <laughs> there's no mic stands. There's no guitar amps. Everyone is like a mobile, self-sustaining unit. Yeah, it's all all wireless because you need full mobility for what he has them doing in this. Yeah, and so and there's I mean the downside of that is there's no drum kit. Right. But you get like three or four people playing individual pieces of a drum kit um and there's i i really noticed on this uh second watch of it that every that there's these elaborate like harnesses that each player has Mm -hmm. that i i I imagine were specially constructed for this that you know that that sit on their shoulders and and then the instrument is sitting you know in front of them uh you know mainly the percussionists um but it's like something out of like minority report or something (laughs) i can't imagine how like how how much upper body strength that requires to not only just have that on for so long and then execute these very, very specific movements with that. You know, the set list is kind of half talking heads material, which he had not played live in years. And then half like a grab bag of songs from all over his solo Mm -hmm. career. Okay. Two things that I, that I'm thinking maybe were reasons he went back to these songs is a, once again, fits in with the theme of what he was going for. Um, so, you know, certain songs that were just so on the nose for the, you know, 
Right. Yeah, we should right. say I mean, there there is there is a kind of a through line or, uh-huh. or a connective thread right. throughout right. this, which ironically is about connectivity. Yes. Um, and the other reason too, I'm thinking could just simply be because he knew that there would be more of a draw for people to want to come see it if he did exactly. talk about music. Yeah, it's kind of a boomer move, right. on his part. Right. Or I guess technically, are they Gen X? I guess I they're think Gen, X. Be Gen X. Yeah, it's like a, it's a Gen X move mm-hmm. because people my age <laughs> would be like, "Oh my God, David Byrne is doing Talking Heads material again." I haven't seen him since you know the early right. '80s, which which begs <laughs> yeah. the question of. Why didn't he just do a reunion tour with the Talking Heads? That, that's com- that's a complicated question. <laughs> I mean, maybe I, they yeah, just I know why. Yeah, maybe they refused to. to oh, oh I, they would love to do it. It's him that doesn't oh, want to well, do yeah, it. Yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but that's what's so weird about it. He's like, oh, I'll do these songs again, but only if I'm fully in charge right. and I don't have to deal with any of you. True. Yeah, that that's true. I, I mean, I'm putting words in his mouth, but but there's definitely but, that, yeah, implication. I'm just saying <laughs> there's a market for it. He acknowledges it, and yeah, so he's kind of given you given us a bone right. here. But he has reinvent you know, reinvented them. Um, they do instrumentally sound very similar to the original versions mm-hmm. in general. Yeah, uh, but um, and I will say, like, I, mean, I in my notes, there's like maybe five five or six overlaps of songs mm-hmm. yep. that are in stop making sense. So it is interesting to compare and contrast right. these songs. He walks out on stage um, uh, alone at a table holding a prop of a human brain. <laughs> <laughs> he addresses the crowd like he's Hamlet. Yes. Uh, and starts talking about, uh, you know, uh, you know, all the curious quirks of humanity or whatever. Yeah. Um, and and how we talk to each other and how we interact with each other. Um, I noticed he's wearing a headphone mic. Yeah. Um, so there's no mic stands. He's wearing a watch, which mm-hmm. is not really significant, but I, I noted it. Right. <laughs> Just again, he's like dressed in gray, this kind of blue gray outfit. Right. Well, well, and, the, the, I think the, the outfits are so kind of sparse that any little, you know. Um, yeah, that's why the watch is, make, not, yeah. is noticeable. Yeah. Um. Uh, these silver beaded curtains rise around him. Mm. Um, so it's already kind of echoing stop making sense, but it's moving at a quicker yeah. pace. Um, and I mean, get your eyes on this people. <laughs> like <laughs> apparently it's like, it's on HBO max and that's only yeah. it's streaming there, but you can pay for it to VOD it maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like one of those three ninety nine things on. So yeah. yeah. It hasn't come out on physical media yet, as far as I know, and it never got a theatrical release, though it's kind of crying out for it. Um, But I'm just saying, like, when these beaded curtains come out, they get a lot of mileage out of these, because this is basically the only state. This is only this is the only only uh, set design, really, they have. Yeah, is is what they do with these um, these beaded kind of silver curtains on, you know, on three sides of the stage, the back and the two sides. It's almost um, like they almost lit. like boxes them in. Yeah, right. But it, but it, yeah, it defines the space as this yeah. cube, and and very brilliantly later on, um, Spike Lee starts getting some overhead camera angles of them, crane shots or whatever, mm-hmm. and it and it really kind of describes the space very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, they get, you know, they change lighting, whatever. Um, but but really, that's about it. Yeah. As in terms of props. 
there's this table and then later on a lamp shows up maybe, but, um, but he's a, he starts singing the song. Uh, wait, wait. Oh, and then the dancers come out. Yes. These yeah. two dancers, um, Chris Giarmo and Tendaya Kiumba. I, yeah, I, th- I think that that sounds. Crowd, crowd mm-hmm. um, um, Kumba maybe. Um, I think, I think they it is Kumba, are. Yeah. Tendai Kumba. Yeah, so it's this white guy and this black girl, and they are great dancers. Mm-hmm. They're singing back in vocals also. They've got headphone mics. Yep. They've got eyeshadow and lipstick on. <laughs> and they're pretty much matching. Yep. And they're pretty much there w- by his side for most of the performance. Most of the performance, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, he starts talking to... So already we're on a different... We can see... Burn as a changed man because he he starts this show addressing the audience, mm-hmm. <laughs> talking about connections between people. Yeah, you know, which has always, you know, which has long been a you know a lyrical obsession of his, going back to the very earliest Talking Head mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, that's the song "Psycho Killer" is literally about like talking to talking to a person. Yeah. Like, I if I don't have anything to say, I I, I won't I say, say it. it. Yeah. Like, or you know, uh, um, or, or I say it once. It, it, there's stuff about he's been talking about like dialogue and communication forever, right. but here he's like direct before he's even started singing, he's talking to the audience. And so yeah. it's like this, it seems like it's going to be a one man show, <laughs> which in a way it is, yeah. <laughs> but, but he's like a one man show who has invited all these, all his friends along or, right. or he's hired a bunch of friends <laughs> <laughs> to support him in this one man mm. show about uh, community. So, but the, but these two dancers do a lot of work. Yeah, they do. He so he is, I guess at the time of filming this was probably sixty-seven years old. Mm-hmm. So, um, but he's still moving around. Yeah, and he's still singing well. He's still singing well, but he—I would say he's lost that that athleticism. Mm-hmm. But this is again a very choreographed show, and he's he's, he's keeping doing up. a lot of yeah. stuff. He's keeping up. Um, but these two dancers, yeah, like you said, they're kind of his companions. They're kind of like, I don't know, a Greek chorus to, to, yeah, to him monologuing. Mm-hmm. He sang a song first alone on stage. Mm-hmm. And that was the song with, here. Like with backing synthesizer, maybe? Y- yeah. It, it was, was It was not a full band production. Similarly to like how, of, talk here, to how Psycho Killer and Stop Making Sense was, was very much a just, you know, stripped down solo performance. This was also very much that. Yeah, you're right. You're right, right. So then you get the monologue. Then he does this song from Ray Momo. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ray Momo. Ray Momo. Yep. Um, but again, I think it's still only the three of them out there. Don't worry about the government. Oh, appears. Yep. And that's the talking head song from their, their first debut, album. Yeah. Um, more. Yeah. More players are starting to appear. Standing on squares of light. Um Everyone is dressed identically in these matching blue gray suits, right. <laughs> suits, but no ties. And everybody is barefoot. Yeah. That was an interesting choice. Including this 68 year old man. Right. <laughs> who's going to dance, dance on stage. Uh, then the song lazy, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know. It's kind of a house music tune. That, I, that it's, is a cover by, um, by a, a, a electronic, music group called express two okay which I th- was he not on the original he i think he had worked with them um i think he actually did sing on on the, the original song yes um you're right 
but it wasn't okay, technically okay. a David Byrne quote unquote song. He was just kind of like a guest yeah, vocalist on the on the original song. Right. So again, he's like cherry picking these songs that from his past catalog that fit this theme that he's going for. And yeah, he's done enough diverse uh, projects that he can pick these. Well, to me, obscure songs. Right. And still, and still like, you know, have it fit in. Mm -hmm. Um, He does another monologue about uh, how hard it is to meet people. Um, He says that I'm observing which goes back to his old theme, looking at people, that's the best. Um, so he's still got the same obsession, but he he definitely, he seems more uh, kind of open than... Yeah, just the fact that he's he's actually like interacting with the audience is, is you know, is kind of a step forward for him, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, then he does uh, This Must Be The Place, Naive Melody. Right, first overlap. From... Yeah, right. So, yeah. Um Sounds great. Mm-hmm. Sounds fine. Um, uh, the lights are, uh, the lighting is changed. The lights are on the curtains, but, but most of the stage is dark. Uh, there's more choreographed dancing and fancy footwork mm-hmm. and arm movements. And, um, so yeah, somebody choreographed the hell out of yeah, this. Um, it's very, all very tight uh, choreographed. Annie B. Parson who he's apparently worked with before. Okay. There's more and more players coming out. I think, I think the grand total finally is 12 players. Yeah. It's a pretty um, big ensemble. Yeah. There's a lot of overhead shots, giving you perspective on top of the, um, yeah. it, from above with, if you were there in the theater, you wouldn't get that angle. Right. And, and very fluid <laughs> camera work in between a lot of the dancers. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of cranes and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and, it made me think, and you don't ever see any of those cameras, which makes me wonder if they did the same thing where they filmed a number of different shows, a different, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and coordinated, uh, you know, getting shots without getting other cameramen. Right. I feel like you would almost have to of a something of this magnitude again. And we should note that the sound is great. Like gotcha. once by the time these 12 players are on stage, I mean, it sounds fine. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the mix is crisp and great. Yeah. And, you know, there's no there's no amplifiers or microphone feedbacks or there's no monitors on stage. Right. Like It really, considering it's, it's, the technology they were using of the, the wireless, it's pretty impressive. I, I guess I did question a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Is this really, are they really playing this live? Yeah. But I mean, I, they could have had. Apparently, they did. Wow. Yeah. Because I, I was but, wondering too, um, if they had like maybe a little bit of extra support backstage. <laughs> yeah, I wondered that, and, and there could be mm-hmm. studio sweetening after the fact too. Right. But I'm not, especially the backing vocals are like all tight, which seems crazy with the dancing going yeah. on. Yeah. But, yeah, but now, yeah. did you know this piece uh, of trivia about the um, about the black tracks on the suits? This little uh, piece of costume trivia. God no. So so it, it it's um. I got this directly off of internet movie database, but if you, if you look closely at the shoulders on their suits, they have these little, they're like little spheres that are blinking lights and they're called black tracks. They're infrared transmitters that enable the lights to automatically track the performers while they move around the stage. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and you can you notice it's more noticeable like when towards the end, when they go off the stage and through the audience. Really? Yeah. You can actually see the lights glowing. It, like, yeah. Like blinking. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. 
what do they do next? They do Ezimbra. Ezimbra, yeah. From Fear of Music, mm-hmm. which is a great tune that was left off the last movie, mm-hmm. though it appears as a bonus feature, right. as I said. Um, the lyrics are based on a Dada poem by Kurt Schwitters, who was one of the founders of the Dada movement. Oh. I actually studied him in, in college. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, there was a Dada exhibit at the Museum of uh, the Metropolitan, not, not the, I'm sorry, MoMA, MoMA yeah. Museum of Modern mm-hmm. Art while I was in college. So I got kind of schooled on Dada mm-hmm. and Kurt Schwitters um, uses nonsense language and imagery um, part of attempting to make sense of 1930s Germany. Oh, interesting. Which was struggling, which was struggling against fascism. Yeah. <laughs> and, wow. and so this art movement grew as a reaction to, uh, you know, this grow, growing controlling force that was present in Germany and uh, um, still relevant today. Um, one of the other Dadaists, Hugo Ball, wrote the lyrics um, that DB quoted back then um, on on fear of music. But he, he's telling the crowd this, which is cool. Mm, yeah. Um, he's kind of giving giving an art history lesson to the crowd um, uh, without, you know, and allowing us to make the connection right. to the, the timing of, of this. Um, yeah, I never understood the lyrics to this song. Right. <laughs> and it turns out it's because they were intentionally. <laughs> I always assumed that it was like an African language. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Right, right. And, and in fact, you know, burn and the heads are part of the, yeah, that data continuum yeah. of Europeans being fascinated by Africa. Mm-hmm because of its uh, strangeness or, or, or alien character uh, to, 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 to white Europeans. Um, and, you know, like, you know, Pablo Picasso got influenced by African art and that freed him up from, you know, the, 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 the constraints you know, of the constrictions. Right. Yeah. The constrictions of European art, you know, conventional painting. Um, so, you know, Burns part of that line. And I like that he's making that connection historically mm-hmm. to his crowd, you know, half of which, probably already knew that right. <laughs> you know again this is you know new york city right. <laughs> crowd but who probably grew up listening to talking heads but plenty of people don't know that um and i'd frankly forgotten yeah. that um the, the the music itself is african influenced and, and, and it has that fela kuti kind of groove they start line dancing at a yes. certain point and form a drum circle um and uh uh so Things have really amped right. up. It, it's very high energy performance. I thought it was interesting. We don't really get to know the the background dancers, or we don't really get to know the ensemble at all. But I did think it was interesting how it, it was very noticeable how, how um, they really made it a point to get as diverse of a group of people as possible. Yeah, you know, I believe he does later introduce them all and introduces them by name and by country. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Um, but people get a lot, a lot of people get FaceTime on, you know, like camera shots and, uh, you know, if they're doing something particularly interesting That's on their true. instrument, yeah. the camera will cut to them. Right. Um, uh, uh, next song is Slippery People, mm-hmm. another overlap. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a funky tune, lots of crane shots from the a lot of shots from the front of house um yeah again spike lee trying to break up 
a, mono- a potentially monotonous mm-hmm. film right. by, you know, kind of focusing each song kind of has a visual focus. Yeah. Your know, point of view from on it. Mm-hmm. On it. Um, this was another solid uh, interpretation. I thought, I guess I kind of skipped something, but basically now there's fully 12 people on stage. Mm-hmm. So there were people still, still lingering. Uh, kind of entering. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and most of those are percussionists. I think there's at least like six people playing some sort of percussion instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a guitarist, a bass player, one guy, one guy playing keyboards, which yeah. seems insane. Considering how, how because keyboard heavy all these songs are. <laughs> yes, right. In fact, he was one of the my prime suspects for, is he really playing mm-hmm. all these parts? <laughs> um uh, uh, and uh, whatever. Occasionally, uh, Burns playing guitar, but only occasionally. Right. There is a drum. There's kind of a percussion solo at the end of that. And uh, um, oh, and DB does his uh, his uh, rap again, um, or, or some kind of right. rap. Uh, well, actually, my notes call it a vocal scat. Yeah, if, I was gonna say it's almost like a like a, a poetry slam. <laughs> right. Right. I should watch TV. Yes, that's a song from the St. Vincent record. Okay. All right. Um, uh, the band is united in a rectangle behind him in spotlight in front. Um, so they're doing things with the camera angles, but also to do with the choreography. Right. And so it's very helpful to have those overhead shots to see the, the intricacies, these configurations. Yeah, that the band that the, the players are doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we said this earlier, but this made me really want to see this show live. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think um, it would be a very I immersive he, experience to see it in person. Yeah, right. Like even though you'd be stationary, and this movie is giving you um, angles and viewpoints right. that you could not possibly have if you were seeing it live. I imagine that's fully made up for by the the dynamism and the energy coming off the yep. stage. And also, too, I mean, a lot of this was probably designed and produced for this for an audience for the stage, you know. Um, yeah. Oh, so yeah. I mean, it it's, works best in that setting. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, right. Um, at some point, he does the Black Power salute. Oh yeah, yeah. On the lo- on the line, how am I not your brother? Right. And then a picture of Colin Kaepernick mm-hmm. comes up on the projected on the curtain. Yeah. Um Yeah, this is a very politically driven film or um Yeah, which I wonder if, you know, was that was that Spike Lee's decision oh, or true. was that Burns' idea? Um but uh that's kind of a hint at what's going to come up later. Um uh Next tune is Everybody's Coming to My House. Yep. That's from the American Utopian we, album. Okay. Right. I believe, yeah, he gives this kind of, in his intro, he talks about how a a, 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 a children's choir did this song. Yeah. <laughs> and he thought it was better than his version. Because <laughs> they, they found something in it that he never could project. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he... Uh, goes on to uh, applaud all the immigrants that are members of yeah. his band. Yeah, that was cool. Um, so again, like the, the themes are coming together uh, of connectivity and uh, from his, you know, 
the old material and the new material and the actual composition of his group. Yes. Yeah. Almost like a uh, unification and how, how that's, kind of thing. And it's totally ironic that this, I mean, obviously this show was conceptualized and developed during the Trump presidency. Right. But it's ironic that it came out to the public during uh, lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which where we are forced to be isolated from each other, like even more right. like we were, I, we were separated and divided before. Right. But now we're like, you know, like physically <laughs> in, in these separate spaces. Right. So it's, it's, it's really fitting. Like as this, the you timing know, like, is as very this, eerie. As this movie, like, yeah, develop, uh, unfolds, like it becomes more, uh, yeah, relevant yeah. or whatever. Which, yeah, is kind of an accident of fate, mm-hmm. really. Absolutely. Um, uh, I will note that for the first time, everything's bathed in red light. Yeah, that was that was beautiful. Um, yeah, once, once in a, a lifetime. lifetime. Yeah, another overlap. Mm-hmm. Uh, which again follows a song talking about house. Everybody's coming to my house was the previous song, and it's this very warm, inviting song. Once in a lifetime is kind of about a guy inquisitive or you know uh, uh confused by his home right right you know that's a similar <laughs> parallel to the placement of once in a lifetime and stop making sense which came came after yeah. this must be the place you know another very kind of yeah uh, right homey yeah, yeah. comfort song <laughs> yeah 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 um he again is like doing similar to what was in the original video with stumbling around doing the gestures mm-hmm. Um, you're reaching his hands to the sky, kind of like a preacher. Right. Very yeah. classic. Um, he's at the front of the stage spotlit. Um, and then eventually as the song progresses, the band comes out to join him and they're all in a line up front at state at stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine this is probably really cathartic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's to see this live, you know, because everyone knows this song. It's such, it's such a, an intense piece of music. And then, you know, all the group up there right in front. This is a technique they use a few times through this mm-hmm. that is kind of subtle, but every once in a while you'll notice that not all 12 people are on stage. There's one or two people like behind, behind the curtain, curtain, right? Right. So poking out mm-hmm. like maybe the, the head of the guitar or, you know, like the drum will be poking out from yeah. behind these beaded curtains. Um, but it's very, very right. subtle. Um, uh, glass, concrete, and stone. Yes, this is actually um, one of my personal favorite David Byrne solo songs. This is one of the ones ah. I go back to the most. It's just a house, not a home, right. is part of the refrain. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I like that line a lot. He's playing acoustic guitar on this. Um, there's, yeah, there's players are sneaking their instruments out from behind the curtains. Um yeah, which just gives it this kind of yeah, kind of paranoid, isolated yeah. feel. Um, um, we yeah, and I mean even the title. What, do you know when that record came uh, out? Grown backwards, two thousand four. Okay, because yeah. you know just the title, glass, concrete, and stone. Um, it just insinuates you know harkens back, harkens back to, to yeah, but it goes back to like their second album, more songs about oh, buildings right, and right, food. Right, right, yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> Um, so this next song is another one of those collaborative 
um, dance music mm-hmm. tunes. Toe Jam, which I guess was from a Fat Boy Slim side project. Yes. Yep, they did with it, and that he sang on the original. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, but I don't think I've ever heard it. I I've, I've heard it once. I, I it didn't really leave any kind of impression on me at the time, and I haven't really been listened yeah. to it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh. But it's like a dance number. Um. And then he goes into then he does a monologue about the importance of election registry. Right. <laughs> now remember, so yeah, this movie came out in 2020, mm-hmm. September of 2020. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did yeah, it? Oh, really? It came out like two months before the election here. That had to have. Mm. That they could not have been a coincidence. Right. Right. Next tune is uh, "Born Under Punches." The heat goes on. The heat goes on in subtitle. Uh, sorry, in parenthetical. Yeah. Uh, which is a song that did not make it into the Stop Making Sense movie or soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So that was not part of it, but it's part of that. Yeah. Uh, Brian Eno, Fela Kuti inspired jam based. And, and yeah, that is such a gorgeous I love song. It. Yeah, it's an, it's another probably top 10 talking heads track for me and he's doing he's doing that american preacher cadence yeah again. take a look at I these hands yeah <laughs> yeah right and uh you know so going back way back when, when we were talking about my life in the bush of ghosts using samples as the as the vocals mm-hmm. a lot of those voc a lot of those samples came from recordings of preachers oh, yeah. that they got from radio so you know, he he assimilated that style basically, mm-hmm. and you know, at, and continued and he used it, you know, a lot in that uh, early '80s period. Uh, uh, you know, and got inspiration from you know, like how how would an evangelical preacher say these right. things? He's playing electric guitar on this one. Uh, the lighting effects on stage go through these cycling shadows. The red light comes back. Um, so all sorts of stuff is going yeah. on. But it, th- th- yeah, the particular thing about that song is that it's very trancey. Mm-hmm. It kind of sits in this one groove and just kind of stays there the yep. whole time uh, harmonically. But uh, it, it's a really gorgeous song. It really song. is. Yeah. Yeah. The next three tracks are all uh, songs from the album, which admittedly I'm not, I, I would just say I'm not super familiar with the album. I've, I've listened to it. And I and I like it fine. I just I'm not tremendously familiar with the actual album. Everyone start. It starts with everybody lying on the floor. Yeah, <laughs> which is an interesting right. move. Um, then they all rise. It starts soft. It ends up in this loud electronic beat. Uh, then yeah, these yeah these. I guess this is the thing. Yeah, like these songs didn't really totally grip yeah. me. The performances are great. So it's like it's things are still interesting but just maybe it's the lack of familiarity it could be you can always tell when <laughs> an artist is is um incorporating their newest material <laughs> in with yeah old, when they with, yeah. yeah it's sort of like yeah yeah, yeah. it just um, loses the putting three 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 new songs in a row is kind of yeah rough. it's a big yeah. ask for most casual fans yeah right right uh the next song is bullet mm-hmm. um uh, and interestingly, he he brings out another uh, light stand. Yeah, 
kind of calling back. It had, doesn't have a lampshade on it this right. time, though. But it's calling back to uh, this is the place naive melody from the previous right. film. I think mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah. I think that was like an intentional nod on his part. Yeah, um, he's holding this light, and the group sort of slowly circle around him, so that they do some inventive staging with yeah. with this prop. You know, um, interesting the sense of sparseness that that it's kind of in keeping with the whole movie. You know, like there's no lampshade, um, and the you know whereas there wasn't stop making sense, and there's no there's no full instruments. You know, that's been kind of taken away. Um, everything seems to be a little bit more stripped down for this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Even, even down to yeah. the, like they don't even have F shoes on, you know, <laughs> even that's kind of might be. Yeah. yeah. Every day is a miracle. He addresses the fact that there are no cables, only us and you. Yeah. It kind of loses me lyrically when he starts to talk about chickens. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Says God is a rooster, <laughs> Jesus is his eggs. <laughs> um, and then it's got this other line to be a cockroach in the cosmos of your house. It's very hokey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, then they go oh, back to the heads, they do blind mm-hmm. from naked, uh, which has got on the original, it's got a lot of horns, it's, yeah. it's mainly. Yeah. Famous for its big uh, horn arrangement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and somehow they do that live. I guess it's the keyboard player doing yeah. it because there are no horn players. No, in it's it's got to be fully synthesized. And this is, you know, would have been a rarity because you probably never, Talking Heads probably never played this song right. live. Actually, during the percussion solo, the crowd is encouraged to clap, mm-hmm. which is something he did not do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> making sense days. Um, uh, sticking with the heads, then burning down the house. Mm-hmm. Another overlap. Yep. Uh, starts with him playing on acoustic guitar, which is so weird. Like it really hit me. Like, oh yeah, that song starts yeah, with, with the it. Like I, in my mind, that's a keyboard mm-hmm. pattern. But it was just so weird to hear it to, to watch him play. Right. I was like, eh, okay. <laughs> um. Um, and I, you know what? And the, this line stood out to me this time. Three hundred sixty-five degrees. Mm. Like, what does that mean? Because it shouldn't it be three sixty degrees. Three hundred sixty-five. Talking about a year. Yeah. Huh. Or is it a temperature? Oh, true. Like yeah. Burning down the house. Oh, like that's very yes, hot. Yes, yes, yes. So it has this triple meaning. That wow. I, yeah. I, I never. Never heard of it. Never, never, like I never thought of that. They're doing the organized uh, drum lines again, you know, kind of like a marching band or something, um, forming various interlocking grid patterns. So the drummers are really going off on this mm-hmm. one. There's kind of a, an abrupt shift mm-hmm. here because, you know, burning down the house is such a, a uh, you know, kind of get off, get off your booty right. and shake your booty kind of dance mm-hmm. song. Um, celebratory, uh, well-known tune. And then he does this cover yeah. of a Janelle Monet song. Apparently he got her permission to do mm-hmm. this. He says so. Yeah, yeah. I think they're buddies. Uh, I think Janelle and David are buddies. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense. Hell are you talking about? <laughs> Which I think I've actually heard Electric Lady. Mm-hmm. I have that record, yeah. but I did not recognize it. Um, 
and it's probably just become more uh, uh, relevant in the years since that record came out. Um, it's almost a shame she's kind of more of an actress now because she's a really good she singer. Is. All, I love all of her albums. It's a protest song, mm-hmm. basically, or he turns it into a protest song, right? And it also beca- doubles as a requiem. Mm-hmm. They, it's this percussive chanting, and they, uh, the singers are start naming names and showing, projecting pictures of slain African Americans over the last like decade right. or two. Right. <laughs> but, but you know, particularly concentrated recently, you know, as of last year, um, I can't swear that they're all killed by police, but a whole a lot, lot of them, them were. were. Yep. <laughs> uh, and, you know, Byrne doesn't make that statement, but, um, right. but this is, uh, they end the song by saying, and too many more. Yeah. It says, um, according to what I'm reading, it says it, it lists the name of people who died as a result of encounters with law enforcement and or racial violence. So just kind of a general. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not to get political, but you know, any, you know, a conservative, anytime they're, they're, they're shown these numbers or shown these names, they always say, well, what about black on black crime? There's more of that. It's so frustrating than any oh of these God. police murders. And while that may be statistically true in numbers, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's a different it's, kind it's of a, outrage. Exactly. It's a different problem. It's a different yep. problem with different, yeah, with different players. Mm-hmm. And obviously, yeah, Byrne feels that way too. Like, you know, it's, we all acknowledge that we need police, but we should be able to control the police and we should be able to alter the behavior of the police if they're malfunctioning. Exactly. (laughs) Otherwise, then their purpose is null and void. But anyway. (laughs) Unless this is their purpose, which then leads you down a whole other. whole other. Uh, <laughs> conversation, <Okay>. right? <laughs> right. Um, and which, yeah, uh, you know, I could definitely see, like, I don't know if this was a regular part of the show, the touring mm. show, but whether it was Burns decision or Spike Lee's yeah. decision, it, it's very powerful it moment. It's unexpected. It's, I wouldn't say it's out of left field, but it's, it's unexpected mm. in this movie for this right. uh, to happen. Um, and I can imagine some viewers, maybe even some fans of his, to be like, ah, "Keep your politics." Oh, out sure. Of yep. My music, but but again, you know, it's like with people complaining about Bruce Springsteen being political. <laughs> like, have you ever listened to his? <laughs> yeah. Like, we've been talking about this stuff right. for a long time. <laughs> Born in the USA um, is not an empowerment anthem for the right wing. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Right. And glory days is not <laughs> about baseball. It's not about the Confederacy <laughs> and slavery. Uh, one, one fine day. day. Yep. And that's from the that's another solo. That's the one. Um, that's a song from the second Eno and Burn album. Oh, that's the yeah. Okay. All right. How's that? Um, it's good. I, I I don't like it as much as the um the first one, but it's 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 decent. Uh, he does another monologue about connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, the song starts a cappella. Um, the curtain slowly rises and uh, uh, the group moves to the front of stage all in natural light. 
Um, and, and we're getting it, towards the home stretch of the movie, so this for pretty much the ensemble is pretty much there to stay for the rest of the performance. Yeah. In fact, you see the brick backstage yeah. walls mm-hmm. calling back to Stop, me. Stop Making yeah. Sense. Um, but it's the end. Uh, and then I they do Road that. to Nowhere. It's like a reverse. So Road to Nowhere probably never got played live. I was thinking the same thing, yeah, because that was after they stopped touring. They had yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a really kind of celebratory march of a tune, uh, mm-hmm. you know, really led by the drums. And um, it's kind of mo- monotone. Oh, it starts kind of as a spiritual. Actually. Yeah. With all the harmonies and everything. And the drums come in. Yeah. Um, uh, um, the, the, one of the male dancer, I believe, is playing the melodica. Mm. which is that sort of like weird, small kind of plastic keyboard instrument that you blow into. Um, It's, you know, it's so it's, it's uh, used. It was used a lot in the ska and reggae songs. Oh yeah. Yep. Back in a joyful mood is created throughout this theater as they start parading through the crowd, you know, through the aisles. That would have been unheard of in the talking heads. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, So, yeah, the cordlessness really pays yeah. off here because they get to wind their way through. So it literally is like a you know New Orleans style right. march. Uh, yeah, so he's going through the crowd. Everybody's happy. They're still playing the song the whole time, and then uh, he ends. I think they end up back on stage. Everybody's hugging each other, and then there's a little bit of backstage goofing right. around, and then he he leaves the theater. <laughs> On a bicycle, right. puts his helmet on and a helmet, and he just rides off into the nights of into the streets of New York very strange, by himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, although you know what he did write. I, I um, know that he wrote a book. I've never read it. I've seen it on my brother's bookshelf. A book called Bicycle Diaries, where I think it was almost like he he did like a cross country trip or something. I think on bicycle, and he wrote a book about it. And um, maybe it's maybe it's a shout out to that. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I know he's written another book called How Music Works or something like oh, yes. that. I've, yeah, I've heard about that one. Which looks interesting because mm-hmm. it, it seems to be partially biography, but also conceptual. Mm-hmm. Um, literally about you know, the functions of music and society and the human brain. And yeah, stuff. like musicology um, kind of in a sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh which I'm curious to look mm-hmm. at. Um, so it's funny to see him bike away like this, like, oh, he still is this New York nerd. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and he's by himself. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, after all that camaraderie and, and, and communal uh, behavior, yeah. like he's, you know, he's still like this individual. Right. Um, over the credits, um, they play that child's choir version of Everybody's Coming to My mm-hmm. House. Which was a really genius yeah. move, and he's right. It um, is a great version. I'm sorry. Of that song. I, I'm sorry. It's a high school choir, yeah. I believe. Yeah. You know, when the song credits come up, all the various members of Talking Heads get their names credited there. Yeah. But I'll always, you know, I'll want. Um, I wonder what they thought of this project, and like how many times they must have begged him. True. Yeah. <laughs> To reunite 
um, or do a reunion tour and think of how much exposure we can get and how much money we can get. But, you know, obviously those aren't his motivations. They're probably not their motive. I'm putting words in their mouth. But still, I mean, there's so much, such a a benefit. It's a win-win situation. It would have been for the talking heads to get back together. Yeah. Um, but, um, and yeah, so that, you know, that leads to the question of like, you know, obviously this tour, whatever the tour he did culminated in this Broadway run, which got filmed, yeah. but I wonder whether he would have continued touring this production if the pandemic oh, hadn't yeah. happened. Um, uh, again, the dude's like 68 years old now. I don't know how long he can do this. I don't know how long his brain can stay that sharp uh, to be able to you know, pull off something like this. Well, yeah. Or emotionally interested true. in doing it. Yeah. Frankly. True. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and yeah, would he do this again? Would he do another variation on this mm-hmm. down the line or, or is this it? You know, right. Right. It, it begs these questions, but long story short, the movie's good. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. I think stop making sense. Maybe just a, a slight, bit better um i just think it's a little bit tighter i i I, you know i just i prefer the song selection but um yeah yeah but i i would still highly recommend seeing american utopia as well and they're they're, they are very they do have a lot of similarities in tone and in um some of the choices that were made yeah they certainly make a good uh pair although i don't think i'd double bill them and try no, to watch them that together. sounds like it would be exhausting because there's there's a little too much overlap yeah. yeah um but maybe like in you know one night and then the next night would be okay i mean those are my final thoughts to say as far as you know if you haven't seen stop making sense watch it as soon as you're done listening to this if you haven't already paused it to go watch it um you know in a lot of ways i'm really sorry that i waited this long to, to see it properly but um i'm glad i got to do it with being able to talk about it and record a, a, um, a podcast about it. And, um, and American Utopia as well. Um, also don't hesitate to see that because it's, it's um, it, it, like, you know, like we said at the beginning, quality concert films are hard to find. And, um, you know, seeing another one so recently that's, so, that's, you know, also very successful artistically is, is very, um, it's nice to see. Yeah. And I believe, Hob the troll can verify that it is rewatchable. Yes, for sure. <laughs> Highly rewatchable. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I know he's a, he's a huge fan of that movie. I, I'm assuming of Talking Heads in particular, but I know he that 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 film in particular is is um uh is special to him. I would say. Yeah. I guess I do want to give my big footnote, which is that I got inspired to go th- through their entire catalog by listening to a podcast that came out last year, a series uh, called you talking, talking heads to my talking head mm-hmm. on the earwolf network uh, hosted by actor, Adam Scott. Oh yeah. From community. I'm sorry, from parks, parks and rec yeah. uh, and uh, comedian Scott Ackerman host of comedy bang bang. Mm-hmm. And they took a tour episode by episode, album by album, through the entire Talking Heads catalog. And I, at first, I, and I was uh, v- 
eager for the chance to to re-listen to all these albums and listen to the albums I had not heard before uh, because, you know, I'd always been kind of on the fence about yeah. them um, and and hadn't heard the whole uh, the whole thing. And it, it got uh, you know, they covered the movies. Um, uh, they would always have a special guest on, usually a comedian or mm-hmm. actor from their community. But when they did the Stop Making Sense album, they had the actual Jerry Harrison on oh, as a guest. Wow. And so he talked to them about the head's career and then specifically about the making of this movie. Very cool. Um, so, uh, and uh, he also like, he's like the, the head's biggest booster. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he was, he was there when it happened, but he recognizes its place in history, you know, as, as music and as a film. And so it was really great to hear him uh, talk about this stuff. That's very cool. I'm going to have to listen to that too. But it, so yeah, I'd say listen to that episode in particular, mm-hmm. but the whole series they did was mm-hmm. good. And, but it's you know, very funny that I will full uh, warning. They usually spend about half an hour talking about nonsense <laughs> <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but that, but when they do finally get into the albums, both of the, both of them are big fans mm-hmm. from way back. Um, the first generation talking about so that's basically, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I think Adam's maybe second okay. generation, but I think, and in fact, both, of, I think both of them got into the band from this album from Stop oh, Making okay. Sense. Um, but, but they were fans back in the day and maintain their mm-hmm. fandom and, uh, and they end up covering American Utopia because that came out as their series was mm-hmm. still going. So it's only like maybe 10 or 12 episodes, Okay, but I, I recommend it. <laughs> and, and I learned a lot because they did their research yeah read the various books and bios and stuff. Um, and, uh, so, uh, it was a good way to, and they, and they were not afraid to play sound clips. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, like, um, the last two times you were on, I, I am very, I humbled and astonished by your overwhelming knowledge. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's remarkable. And, um, um, and just your generosity of time and, um, your enthusiasm. It's, it's always a huge pleasure to have you on. So of course, the, as always, the invitation is always open. So. Well, thanks. I'm humbled. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and right back at you. Um, I appreciate your uh, openness and uh, yeah, your enthusiasm. And well, thank you. Openness. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, thanks again. Um, do you want to do a little um, uh, sign off of where we can find you out in the internet world? Yeah, I'm on Twitter a bunch uh, as at Cult Dung, uh, which is abbreviation for Culture Dungeon, if that sticks in your <laughs> mind better. But uh, David Finn, um, that's really, I am on Instagram a little bit, but not not much. But I'm doing the Rock Solid album a day hashtag again. This is my third year doing that. And, and also I'm doing a jazz 20. 21 because yeah i noticed that i have i have tons of jazz in my collection that i hadn't listened to and so i've kind of gone out you know made it a you know a project to listen to all these albums i've collected on mp3 or or vinyl or cd or whatever and i've been interested in jazz for years and years but um i hadn't really done a deep dive into it so um 
I'm learning a lot and finding new stuff all the right. time. And, uh, uh, it's, but I'm still listening to the rock albums mm-hmm. and the prog rock and all that and the disco and whatever. So yeah, that's basically what I'm doing. You can find me at Twitter at my personal Twitter handle is Josh F six one eight at the, um, podcast is at rock movies pod. You can send me an email at movies at rockpod at gmail.com and please leave a review on Apple podcasts. Um, it helps people to find the show and, um, and we're available anywhere, Spotify, Apple podcasts, um, SoundCloud, anywhere you, you get your normal podcasts, anywhere you download, we're there. So, um, thanks for listening and thanks again for joining me. My pleasure. Right, have a good night. Everybody get in line. Everything's in between us.